Welcome to the Arms Race. This is the podcast where we attempt to determine which action star has the highest body count in movie history, currently by watching every Sylvester Stallone movie one at a time. I'm Kevin Keane. And I'm Mike Olson. And today we'll be discussing Cobra, released by Warner Brothers on May 23rd, 1986, starring Sylvester Stallone, Brigitte Nielsen, Rennie Santori, Andrew Robinson, Lee Garlington, John Hertzfeld, Art LaFleur, Brian Thompson, and David Rashi. Screenplay by Sylvester Stallone, based on the novel Fair Game by Paula Gosling, directed by George P. Cosmatos. Yep, our old friend George P. Cosmatos, who once again did not actually direct this movie. Oh, is this? this is, he is, directed Rambo 2. He's like the second unit? No, it's just that he was he he's a guy you hired if... If, That's right. Uh, the star of the movie wants to, to really direct the yeah, movie. Ghost direct the movie. So yeah. once again, actually secretly directed by Sylvester Stallone, it seems. Okay. Uh, this was definitely my first time through for Cobra. I, as I recall, when you last episode when you picked it, you said this is a movie you'd seen and you either remembered liking or, or something along those lines, right? Yeah, I, I had seen it in college and uh, had fond memories of that viewing. Although, odds are I was very drunk when uh, watching this. That probably helped uh, my, my, my uh, you know, enjoyment your of view, this Your viewing? Because, well, since, since you're going to me first, I'll say that uh, my memory, watching it again, did not hold up to my memory. Scene of, missing? Is yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I had a tough time with this movie. I don't know if I'd go so far as I had a, a tough time, but it wasn't the standout that I remember. I remember this being fun in a schlocky way, just like... A really straightforward, straight ahead, there, know, kind of meat and potatoes action movie. I could see that there are moments and nuggets in there like that, but the majority of the movie is not. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I don't think it's bad, but you know, it's definitely not a tier Stallone. That's for sure. It's certainly not that. I don't know. A lot of the movie feels more like an '80s slasher movie than it feels. A little bit. The villain is very <sighs> like. This movie is not interested in getting into the psychological. <laughs> it's not interested in giving you anything no, on the he, villain. He's just evil. He's just yeah. He he wants to kill, and he has a group of followers who also want to kill, and that's the extent of it. Brian Thompson, I was reading, uh, he plays the villain, the something slasher, Night Stalker. Uh, Night Stalker. Yeah, I, yeah see, uh, it's such a generic you know name for a killer. You'd like uh, to think the LA Times could have come up with something better than yeah, that. The Night Stalker. But I, I was reading that he had asked Stallone, like, who is this guy? Why does he do these things? And Stallone's like, he's just evil. Don't worry about it. Like, it was just sort of, this movie's not interested in who that guy is. It's not even really interested in who Cobra is. It's just not sort really. of just putting us all through the paces of a pretty standard cops versus psychos. Kind yeah, of a, some, some elements of Dirty Harry mixed in there a little bit. I mean, a lot of elements of Dirty Harry. I mean, yeah. this, it feels like a rejected Dirty Harry script, you know? <laughs> it's like, I wrote this Dirty Harry script and the Warner Brothers wouldn't buy it. So here, find Harry Callahan, yep. replace Search Control F. Yeah, Marion Cobretti. It makes sense at this point in his career for Stallone to, be like, to want to do a movie like this to play a rogue kind of Dirty Harry-esque cop. He doesn't play by the rules. He's where the law ends and, you know, whatever he says. And it, and, it, it wouldn't be too long after this he'd be playing uh, Gabriel? No, not Gabriel Cash. That was uh, Ray no, Tango. Yeah, Ray Tango. Yeah. Ray Tango, who's a, a straight-laced cop. 
Yeah, and I think that's a more interesting role for him. I don't know if this is, this might be end up being a short episode because this movie is so meat and potatoes and so oh, straightforward. Yeah. I don't know how much there is even going to be to talk about. There, there's a few things. I do have some questions, and the little detail is a little thin for me, but I have some questions, particularly on the Night Stalker and his... I, I didn't even get the name of his cult. Uh, I have some questions there. I don't know if we get any details about that. I, I don't mean, think you do. That's some of the reason why I have so many questions just that have like to be filled in. The axe cult. They all, yeah. they like clanging axes together. And they ride a lot of motorcycles. <laughs> they do. Yeah. A lot of motorcycles. Yeah, well, there's, I, I guess... I mean, they're not really a biker gang. It's not like they're out there, you know, selling meth or anything like that. No, they're just kind of psychos. That's, that, and that's their mode of transportation, though. Everybody rides a motorcycle. <laughs> and yet, even though we see in their, like... You know, there's there's shots of them in like some kind of you know, abandoned, abandoned pool, yeah, or something, and they're clanging axes together. And there's guys in there in like suits. suit and tie. Yeah, it made <laughs> me think of like Tyler Durden and Fight Club. That you know, it's like well, you don't really know who you know. They could be anybody, right? right. But and then in the end, they're they're all riding motorcycles. The, that, the movie only takes advantage of that with one particular character. Yes, and uh, the rest other, it's abandoned. Otherwise, it's just all you know. Because I actually kind of thought as it went along that I thought that you know it would be kind of Tyler Durden esque that you know you don't really know who we are right no yeah i mean that would one have been more key it was just basically there for one key character it wouldn't have been plausible for this cult that is it basically stands for nothing other than chaos and they hate cops it's almost exactly the same motivation as the killer from icu <laughs> it's funny we did this after that because it's just like pig i hate cops and you know we're gonna cleanse, cleanse the world yeah, you're right and maybe it's gonna be a survival of the fittest and maybe sh- night stalker is some way related to <laughs> sure uh i don't remember the character i don't either it doesn't matter <laughs> it's a, yeah it, i oh, see how you could I, so. it's slater how could i forget because oh, i right, was yeah. jack slater you're right yeah uh yeah maybe he picked up the remnants after uh the death of the night stalker he yeah he carried the torch he found the manifesto and said i'll carry this on god that manifesto <laughs> <laughs> all right um i don't know that, that's a pretty good intro for this one you ready to get into this yeah we can get into it yeah, I, I do think it. this is going to be a pretty quick episode <laughs> so we didn't really talk about it much oh i should mention this is a uh, canon film we talked about uh mm-hmm. menachem golem when we uh covered over the top so we don't do producer credits here but he produced this so i can say this i enjoyed over the top more than this one yeah but this is very much in canon's wheelhouse just i mean it's this, it's death wish like that kind of a movie yeah. right down the this, fairway this is such a canon film but anyway let's get started what day is it what year all right it is may 23rd 1986 and i'm going to lead this off with a tirade i am absolutely furious box office mojo has been a, a reliable resource uh, for movie Box office information and statistics for more than a decade. Okay. What happened? Was there, well, some, was there a change recently? Yes. There was a change very recently, and apparently I should have been doing my homework on this one sooner so that I could have got this one in before my friends at Amazon decided they wanted to make a change to the website. And so Amazon has owned Box Office Mojo through IMDb. for a, This isn't a new acquisition. Right. But all of a the sudden they decided... Yeah, we're going to change not only the look of the website so that it's cleaner and sleeker, and it looks far more like IMDb, we're going to put almost all key information behind a paywall. And so now you have to be an IMDb Pro subscriber to 
basically get anything of use, particularly that I have been using historically for this podcast. Well, that sucks. And I'm even, and here's the thing I am willing, I am not a person who says, well, it's always been free. It should always be free. You know what? They're providing, you know, they have servers. They're providing me a service. I'm willing to pay something reasonable for it. But IMDb Pro, do you want to know what it costs? $150 a year. I am not, Now, I know there are other things that come with IMDb Pro that you can search in IMDb. Yeah, that's for people who are in the business. In, if in the, if in even the so, because the little bit I've read about it, nobody actually in the business actually uses <laughs> okay. that. And $150, I'm like, this is absurd. It's ridiculous. I was able to at least get information from, there's, a, there's an alternative site by the numbers. It's not as user-friendly, and I don't think it's as nearly as robust, but I was able to get it at least for this movie because this movie was released on um, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. So I think the numbers were really good. Some other weeks that I looked, they you know that it was like the top four, or top three. So I don't know what I'm going to go, do going forward. The only thing that I have hold out hope for is that when I saw this, I'm like, what is this nonsense? So I immediately, of course, went to the other dominating tech company out there, Google, to find out what happened. And I'm like, oh, this literally happened like within the last week or two. And the internet's the people who use it are furious yeah. and are already trying to assemble uh, programmers and people to basically just go and recreate Box Office Mojo well, with the exact same format that, that it was before. That's exactly what I was about to say is, you know, this is publicly available information. Yes. So someone will put together some kind of competitor. Yeah, I will probably... What's funny is that I'm more likely to contribute $150 to... <laughs> to the competitor? Yeah, to the competitor, yeah. you know, that, that's building it, whether it's through a GoFundMe or whatever that's out there. I'm far more likely to do that than Amazon. There's no need... They have no need to monetize this. Yeah, all it takes is one person to pay for the 150 bucks, scrape the entire database, and then post it all to some <laughs> other website. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's the, I'm sure that's what will happen very quickly. It's just, it's whatever. So that said, I do have it for this movie. I wanted to get that off my chest. I was enraged when I saw this. I could tell. I mean, a paywall for box office numbers? Come on. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm trying to search to find, you know, get my, I don't know, information out to casting directors or something. I understand why you want me to pay for that. Yeah. This is publicly inf available information that's released every week. Come on, Amazon. Well, it's one thing if they were like, okay, going forward, like this week's box office information, but to like put the historical data in the all of it, yeah. That and from what I'm told too, because I didn't go behind the paywall, is that it's there, but it's not easily, not nearly as easily searchable, and just the format and layout is terrible compared to the old version. Yeah. So whatever. The internet used to be cool. Uh, it did. All right, so this is from uh, the numbers instead of Box Office Mojo, but uh, a $25 million budget and just over $49 million in total box office, all domestic. Does that site not have opening weekend stuff? It's just... Oh, no, so I, I do have it. I, okay. I, I was able to get the weekend, the full weekend for this movie. I'm concerned about future movies, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I guess we will. So Cobra did open as the number one movie in America. Uh, at just under $19 million, excuse me, in total box office. Uh, another movie opened and opened number that week, number two, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, at uh, $14.5 million. All right. Then uh, kind of rounding out the rest, that one that I, I would have thought actually would have still been number one, nothing against Cobra, but Top Gun was number three, and it was in its second week. I went and looked, actually, at the next week. It moved itself back up to number one. Because I, I, I remember, not that I remember that movie, but I re just the 
it seems like that was a movie that had legs and was in theaters forever. Was a blockbuster. Oh yeah, I'll bet that's true. But I mean, that that was the movie that made you know, Tom Cruise like a huge movie. I mean, yeah. he he was in Risky Business, Risky Business, which he was a star. I mean, he was known, he was but, famous, but he wasn't yeah. Tom Cruise until Top Gun. So yeah. I mean, I could see that one being like I could see the first couple of weeks. People being like, ah, I don't want to see that. I mean, I think it was number one when it opened, and then just some new movies bounced right. a bit. It, it still has a respectable total. Sylvester Stallone was at his peak at this point. Like he's coming yeah. off of Rocky Four and Rambo Two. That was probably the biggest yeah. year of his career. That, so you're right. That that's hard to top. In week number three, the number four movie in America with six point three million dollars, Johnny Five and Short Circuit. Oh, see, which, the first Short Circuit, I could take it or leave it. Really? Short Circuit Two is where it's at. I enjoy both of them. Yeah, I do too. But uh, but short I, Circuit 2, I prefer. I've seen the first Short Circuit more times. You just don't like Steve Gutenberg. That's what it is. I don't, whatever. I mean, he's not good. There's a reason why he's a punching bag. But, uh, uh, and he's a stone cutter? Or yeah, he's exactly. been made a star by the stone cutter? Yeah, he's made a star. But I, I, that's not it. I just find Short Circuit 2 just entertaining. I, I think it's too. more Michael McKeon, the ad, yeah. ad of Michael McKeon. Because he's awesome. All right, number five, a movie I've never heard of, Sweet Liberty. Uh, at 3.6, the, the the box office is really starting to fall here. Uh, number six, Jojo Dancer, Your Life. I don't know this movie at all. Mm, yeah. uh, just over $2 million, But I wanted to get to number seven because a police academy is still in theaters in its 10th week. Uh, 86. Oh, I don't know. Police Academy 3. How do you do it? <laughs> you do I it mean, with I, these Friday the 13th? Do you know the, the sub? Uh, the, oh, yes. Uh, no, wait. Uh, I was about to say Citizens on Patrol, but that's four. Um, back in training. Back in training. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of taking a wild stab at some of these. I don't, I don't always get them right. You're, you're, you're more you're, impressed than you should be because I'm wrong just as often as I'm right. You're pretty good. Uh, number eight, A Room with a View. Uh, number nine, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, and fi- rounding out the top ten, Pretty in Pink, which has been in theaters a long time at this point, at uh, 13 weeks. All right, so on the TV front, uh, I went with 1985 to 86, since this was the end of the um, uh, 85 season. All right. The number one show is The Cosby Show, which is probably very prevalent many times we do movies in the 80s. Yeah, this is probably pretty early. Uh, yeah, I think relatively. Yeah. Uh, number two, I don't know if this one has come up that much. Family Ties, uh, certainly one that I watched in uh, in reruns without th- a doubt. I think it's come up a couple. It's of come times. up. It doesn't. It it feels like that show was bigger than maybe the number of times it's been in the top top three of uh, the ratings. I feel like it's been near the bottom of the list a couple of times, but this yes. is probably the highest it's been. Yeah, this might have been its peak. Number three, Murder She Wrote. Sure. Uh, number four, Sixty Minutes. Number five, Cheers. Number six, Dallas. And then number seven, Dynasty. <laughs> so they're always right next to each other. Yes. Uh, it's the same viewership as like we talked about. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, tied with Dynasty, actually, is the Golden Girls at number seven. Uh, number nine is Miami Vice. And Who's the Boss is number ten. I, th- I think literally every single one of those shows has been mentioned on this podcast oh, yeah. before. It's like there wasn't a lot of uh, like... It was just being dominated by those shows. Yeah, the 80s was just the same shows year after year uh, in the, being in the top 10. Like it's, it, I feel like there were no upstart... Sh- like Twin Peaks, I feel like, is the first one where it was like, it's a huge hit, and then it disappeared. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot of that in the 80s. No. All right, so then on the rest of the history front, the S&P 500 is at 245.30. I didn't have a lot of history in May of 86, so I went back a little bit. Uh, April 26th, 
The Chernobyl disaster occurs in the Ukrainian USSR. Oh, jeez. I, I know you're going to go ahead and just get your... Uh, oh, no, I'm not ready. I was... Oh, you're not ready. Well, <laughs> I tried to keep this one a little more upbeat, so we'll see. Also, this one I found fascinating, and I certainly had never heard of it until I was doing this research. Also on April 26th, American electrical engineer and business owner John R. McDougall, using the pseudonym Captain Midnight... J- <laughs> Jammed the H- HBO satellite signal on Galaxy One during a showing of the film The Falcon and the Snowman, which actually I really enjoyed. Okay. He broadcast a message lasting four and a half minutes, seen by the eastern half of the United States, which accounted for more than half of HBO's 14.6 million subscribers, protesting HBO's rates for satellite dish owners, which he considered too expensive. <laughs> okay. I-, I guess a noble cause. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I read. You should that, do the same thing with Box Office Mojo. I, you're Hack, right. I Hack should. Box Office Mojo. Um, so I read a little bit you know, more about it, and he was his, his the business he owned was actually a satellite dish sales company, and HBO and you know Showtime were starting to become prevalent and charge a lot of money. Yeah, uh, and I think it was starting to impact those sales. But the blowback from what he did in hijack from the FCC was massive because I read a little bit of what he. I don't know enough about satellite dishes, but reading the article on it, if he had somehow, you know, turned the signal or satellite, he he could have been interrupting more than television, like military communications. So it was a huge deal. And there were, uh, you know, he wound up, it was some fine, but there were laws passed that made it far more punitive. Yeah, uh, than the F- with what the FCC can bring down. That's way worse than that guy in Chicago who uh, he he somehow hacked the WTTW broadcast. He, he had a, a what was it? a Max Headroom mask on. Oh, I don't remember this. But it, no one knows who they never caught him, and it was it's an interesting story. It was I think before that it was like in the early eighties. But he was just like doing like weird like brr, 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 look at me. He was just <laughs> doing weird stuff. And, uh, but it was a pretty sophisticated, uh, I mean, but that was local television. I imagine, yeah, hacking that satellite is a pretty big deal, much bigger deal than, you know, the yeah. local public broadcast. Well, and the, the, the guy, this, um, uh, what is his pseudonym? It was great. Captain Midnight was a, was a reference to some movie. I did look it up. He, he effectively had a, a night job that was working the satellites. And so he had... Sure. He had, had industry knowledge and access is really what it came down yeah, well, to. Well, he didn't. He just used the access that he had. It wasn't like somehow right. using any kind of ingenuity. No. He just flipped the switch. Exactly. And, yeah, okay. All right. So then on May 12th, Fast Freddie Markham is the first to reach 65 miles per hour on a pedal bicycle without the aid of wind or a pacemaker in front in Mono Lake, California. That's pretty fast. Uh, it is. Uh, like Jimmy John. Not Jimmy John's. Um, is it Jimmy? Yeah, maybe it is Jimmy, Jimmy Jones. Jones. Yes, that's right. At one point in time in your life, you may have been Jimmy John's fast, correct? Uh, yes, and it annoyed me when people would bring that up. Oh, I would that. deliver a sandwich, and they'd be like, "Wow, that was so fast! I freaked." I was like, "Yeah, thank you. Here's your sandwich. Never heard that before." Did that? I help? did not enjoy that. Did that help with tips? Uh, I mean, if they thought I was fast, sure, but I didn't want to hear them repeating I, back the the catchphrase the tagline. Thing. Yeah. All right, May 14th in the sports world, Reggie Jackson hits home run number 537 to move into sixth place all-time uh, ahead of Mickey Mantle. On May 22nd, Cher calls, this is kind of quaint these days, Cher calls David Letterman an asshole on late night uh, on NBC. Okay. I assume it got bleeped. That's not a live show. Uh, no, it is not a live show. Okay, I don't know why that would be. That, seemed, that does seem very quaint. You're right. 
Yes, especially today. What, uh, that's years after Andy Kaufman cursed on his show. I don't even know why. I why? wonder why this, this was big news. As I said, I didn't find a lot of newsworthy <laughs> sure. stuff. Slow news month, apparently. May- Share cursed on a TV show. Uh, and you know what? This has been pretty upbeat for the most part, and this one is ending on an upbeat note as well. All right. May 25th is Hands Across America. At least 5 million people form a human chain from New York City to Long Beach, California to raise money to fight hunger and homelessness. That is a very upbeat yes. uh, ending. You, you avoided the uh, I, I, Steve I, Martin button. I went out of my way, and on the, the rest of pop culture front... Uh, the New York Times bestseller the week of this movie was released is I'll Take Manhattan by Judith Krantz. Didn't recognize it. And Whitney Houston has the number one single in America on the top Billboard 100, Greatest Love of All, which I don't really know that song very well either. Eddie Murphy sang that in Coming to America, as I recall. Oh, maybe you're, yeah, maybe, okay. The greatest love of all yeah, inside of me. I only know that version. I, I'm sure I've heard the Whitney you know, Houston. Houston's. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, that's what was going on in the world. All right, cool. I, I was trying to think: did Hands Across America come through Chicago, or did it not? I remember I it as a, as a young kid. I remember that happening. I right? don't. I don't know and don't remember. I wonder. I, I would imagine the path was yeah, pretty northerly. You'd think so, but who knows? All right, let's move on to the big picture. All right. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. So the the big picture where we discuss the plot of the movie and we have now I have finally <laughs> discovered I I never in a million years would have guessed this movie and this character is where that sound drop is from. Yeah, including even, the music at the end as yeah, well. Yeah, both of them. So uh we're churning through uh, we're, we're you're learning all kinds of uh things yeah. about how I put together the sound and particularly this season. So let me ask uh, before we get into the plot summary did you remember that line from this movie, or when you were putting these together, did you just search for like Stallone lines that might? I think I saw it in like a YouTube compilation of like okay. you know Stallone's greatest one-liners or whatever, and I was that's like, great that this is one of his greatest one-liners. Well, you know, based on the, the, the tastes of some guy on yeah. the internet. But yeah, I, I do think that's the most memorable scene in this movie. Well, there's two memorable scenes. The, the, the things that I remembered from watching it as a you know college kid. Was the opening in the grocery store that I remembered, and then the robot montage <laughs> that that I remembered. That is probably <laughs> what stuck out the most for me. Yeah, I think that's the most memorable part of this movie. And but- it, in some ways, though, the the tone that's set in that opening scene with "You want to talk? I'll talk." It that feels like a Dirty Harry movie, and it, it does not feel like the rest of the movie. Yeah, this is so Dirty Harry. I mean, was, almost every Dirty Harry movie starts this way, and you know, call in Callahan, and he shows up, and he's gonna Slater! <laughs> right. That's the other thing. It, it, it basically yeah, is. it's a serious version of the opening yes. scene of Last Action Hero. Uh, all right, so I'll I'll give my quick plot summary, and then uh, we'll go through this one, which is actually it's a pretty easy plot summary. Yeah, either way. I don't think there'll be much to go through. But go ahead. All right, so what I I have is Ingrid witnesses a murder on the street by the Night Slasher. Is that right? I think I might have wrote this. It's down. Night Stalker. Night Stalker. Yeah. I think it is. And his cult in the tough streets of Los Angeles. Lieutenant Cobretti and the Zombie Squad are on the case. And we'll stop at nothing, and I mean nothing, to end the Night Slasher's reign of terror and protect Ingrid. I don't know if necessarily the zombie squad is part of the story. We learn he's on the zombie squad, but nobody from the zombie squad seems to be helping other than his partner. Okay, can, I'll just skip to this question. This is one of my questions. All right. Is the zombie squad a two-man team? Poppy, by by the way, <laughs> right. you never warned me that Poppy well, of course. I was a in this movie. Yeah. 
You want to talk about uh, like peeing the couch? I almost <laughs> peed the couch when I see Poppy. Uh, yeah, I figured you'd enjoy that. <laughs> I was, uh, that was the highlight of the movie, yeah. without a doubt. From was Sein- Poppy. Seinfeld. Yes. He's in three or four episodes, maybe, of Seinfeld? Yeah, at least two, and it, it might be up to four. But So well, answer that question for me. Is the zombie squad a two-man squad? My actual answer is no. I think the zombie squad is a, a squad of guys, and these two guys are on the zombie squad, but then they were pulled from the zombie squad to work this case of the Night Stalker. That's how I interpret but this. But they're the two guys that show up at the grocery store, too. I think they're the entire zombie squad. But they don't even show up together, because Poppy's already there. I'm sure... They both have their own cars. You're right. Yeah, so they'll no, no, get, get us cobra Get Cobra here, and Cobra's got to save the day. Is it official we're going to refer to him as Poppy throughout the episode? I don't remember. Is it Gonzalez? I think it's Gonzalez. Yeah, okay. Uh, we may as well call him Poppy. I, it's going to be... I'm telling you right now in my notes, it's Poppy, which is bad. I shouldn't do that, but... <laughs> I mean, anyway. he, that's the role that uh, we remember him from. All He's right, been so other things. Do you, yeah, do you right. want to try and uh, cover the plot a little more in detail? There's, there honestly is not much to it. Yeah, there's not much. I mean, is there anything to talk about in the opening scene? A guy who I guess is presumably part of this cult, although it's never... Yeah, he's got to be. But oh, no, he's got the tattoo, right? So we yeah, but he, definitely he, do, he doesn't have any axes. And from the from the get go, including this opening scene, you get no motivation what this cult wants to do. I mean, later on they do say, "Oh, we just want chaos and to weed out the weak." Right. I, but how is he's it the like, weak? He just goes into a grocery store. Uh, he he hates produce. That's <laughs> what it is. He says stuff like, "I'm the hero of the new world," and I'm you know he. I think it's that these guys think they're starting some sort of anarchist revolution. But, I mean, this this movie does not want to give any kind of even remotely political uh, point of view to this group. They're just psychos. Yes. In the in the canon film style, it's just you know, a bunch of psychos and creeps. That's, that's the thing of every Death Wish movie, where, you know, Charles Bronson, in, in order to justify his rampages, the criminals are just... Attacking no sympathy. random people with no motivation. They just, in, you know, this is a world where criminals just enjoy killing people. Which is so far from reality. Of I mean, course. I, like I said, the movie is avoiding giving a political point of view to the villains. It's just, they're just crazy. But I think in that, it's, it's, it has a very specific point of view in and of itself, the movie. Oh. You know, the worldview where if you're a criminal, you must just be a psycho. And there's no attempt to understand no the, nuance. the, 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 the causes of crime right. in any way they're just you know you broke the law you're a psycho i have the total right to, to blow you yeah. away and and you know that's fine in a dirty harry sort of way i've always talked about this if dirty harry was a real cop i'd want him fired from the force but as a movie character it's fun to you know he he doesn't play by the rules and he gets results <laughs> so like mcgarnacle exactly so i mean that's what this is it's 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 i, I think that scene is there deliberately to Set him up as that kind of a dirty. Yeah, I, I think it sets the tone. It just it doesn't. It's not consistent then because a lot of the rest of the movie feels more like Friday the Thirteenth than it does Dirty Harry, at least to me. Yeah, it has sequences like that. I mean, the the hospital scene in particular. Yeah, but we can maybe, get there in a bit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back and forth between the cop stuff, which, despite the beginning and the end, most of this movie is kind of. Uh, Cop sitting around an office arguing about what to do. I was going to ask, so does his rival and his, I guess, his boss, are they Zeus? I mean, they're, 
they cut to them and they talk a lot, but they don't really do much. Uh, do they? I, I wouldn't call them the okay. Zeus's of the movie because they're, they're there to represent like the establishment. the establishment of the police. All right, that's fair. That guy who hates Cobra, by the way. Speaking of Dirty Harry, and I think another way of this movie to Connecting. compare it's connected to Dirty Harry is he uses the Scorpio Killer in the, uh, oh, the yeah, first Dirty I Harry. That. Yeah, he's obviously older, but yeah, right. So. They clearly wanted to tie this movie to Dirty Harry because they cast that guy as the cop who just hates Cobra for no particular reason. Well, well, that's not true. There may be a reason. We just get no backstory on sure. almost anybody. You can presume that that guy is a by-the-books cop yeah. and he doesn't approve well, he, of Cobra's he, ways. He wears a suit and he has glasses on. So of course <laughs> sure. he does. Yeah, of course. But yeah, Cobra blows away this psycho who takes over this grocery store. He's like, I'm going to blow this place up. He's like, I don't care. I don't shop here. <laughs> <laughs> that actually was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got some one-liners for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, we cut to the Night Slasher who is just killing a random person. You know, she's like a waitress or something. Yeah. And uh, I think there's two different murders. We get that one, and then one scene later, they're killing somebody else, and that's where Bridget Nielsen shows up. Witnesses it. Yeah, I mean, I could go to my, my body count because I have um, each one by... Uh, in a row, sorry about that, but I, I think you're right. Yeah, because they they follow a waitress out of like you know like a diner's closing up. They follow her and kill her, and then later they they rear end a woman. It's like one scene later. You're right. So uh, I, this movie does have the feeling, and I think this is this is I saw in the trivia. This is true. Or it has a feeling of a movie that was two hours and then cut down to eighty four minutes. <laughs> this movie That's, just is just getting through this stuff. Pretty much, you're right, and you are also right. It they they do the old oh we're we're gonna get in a car accident we're gonna rear end you and you're gonna you know get out of the car and she does yeah and uh, you're right and then Ingrid drives by and witnesses it and that's the motivation for the rest of the movie yeah because I guess she saw the Night Stalker's face and so this is the first time that's ever happened that some uh, apparently I find that hard to believe since they are just uh, not in broad daylight but they are just in the middle of the street. <laughs> yeah, he this literally has never happened before. He literally just wanders out into the street. He doesn't yes. even try to, and and no mask, nothing. And you know, uh, Ingrid is that that's Bridget Nielsen's character's name. I, I just was thinking of her as Bridget Nielsen, who actually I think is very good in this movie. I think of all the Bridget Nielsen performances I've ever seen, I think this is her best. I've never seen her play a character this vulnerable and kind of sweet and it's it's very against type for her i feel yeah, like yeah that's probably fair i don't think it's a great performance but it's probably her best i thought it was very good i mean the only other things i really know her from are rocky 4 and uh, beverly hills cop 2 and in both cases she's this like you know ice queen you know she's yeah. very tough and you know i liked seeing her in this role it actually gave me another side to bridget nielsen that i enjoyed but anyway yeah she they they track her down because they've got a mole in the police department this lady cop who looks up her DMV info and they track her to her, her uh, what is it? She's a, it's a fashion model. So yeah, she's, she's a got model a, and she's got a photo. Somehow they know what photo shoot she's going to be at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could be a question. We could, we could talk about it in depth later. How is this possible? But uh, this movie is not interested in these details. Not it's like, all. look, they found her. They've got a mole in the, in the police. That's all that matters. Yes. This, that means in, that's shorthand for they're going to find her fast. Right, exactly. And it's also setting up, because they use this this lady cop. I don't know if we get her name or what her name is. Uh, I had it. Uh, only because I looked on IMDb. I don't think you... I don't, yeah, I don't think in the movie really No, you may... Oh, because then <laughs> I do know that Poppy really zings her right there at the end. I never liked that. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, the, the movie mines that character for, for tension and for suspense a lot where it's like, they don't want the bad guys to know, but oh, she's there and she's listening and there she's going to tell, uh, Night Stalker. Yeah. She's going to run and tell on a payphone right away. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not, not suspicious at all. She's just sneaking off. <laughs> uh, but anyway, backing up, yeah, they, they attack her. And there's a kind of an action scene where she escapes and that's when, uh, she ends up in the hospital and, uh, Stallone and, and Poppy get involved, and essentially, essentially, the, the the movie is okay. You're a witness. You're our only witness to you know, the identity of the Night Stalker. So we've got to protect you. But then Lady Cop sends all the protection at the hospital home. So there's a scene, like you said, it's kind of a very kind of slasher esque scene where the Night Stalker. I have a lot of questions about that sequence, but yes. Yeah, he goes to the hospital. He disguises as a janitor and kills a bunch of people just for fun before he gets to her. Apparently so. <laughs> just on the way. He has a very specific job to do. But he needs to warm up, apparently. I guess so, yeah. He's got to get limber. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she gets away, and then they decide to take... Get her out of town. Take her upstate. They're going to gonna take her to the Victory Motel in L.A. Confidential. So yeah, kind of. That's it's, It very much felt like... I mean, I know it's not supposed to be L.A. anymore. They're supposed to be north of L.A., well north of L.A., right. but... I think it's supposed to be... It felt like the, the ending of this movie... Felt like the ending of L.A. Confidential. I didn't think about it in those terms, but you're right. I mean, the ending of this movie is much more kind of vehicle focused. Yeah, the, the, it starts. A, it starts at a motel, and then they end up in a, a chase, chase sequence, and yes. they end up at a orange grove right next to a foundry. Thank you. <laughs> that, <laughs> it's such an obvious thing. Like, oh, oh, wait, what? There's dialogue in the. Di- they're in this orange grove, and they're like, "Get to the foundry," and it's like, "Wait, what? A foundry out in the middle of nowhere?" <laughs> Thank you. I have. I think it's. I might be one of my questions. That's like. It's a. I think it is a made-up town. You know, it's like Los, Los something. And it, I looked it up. It, it's. I don't think it's a real town. Sure. I think I have a question in here. What kind of zoning laws exist <laughs> in this town that there's a foundry right next to an orange grove? Yeah, I, I got to think the oranges that are growing there are not going to pass safety inspections. Well, FDA is going to have a thing to say about the quality of these oranges. I don't think they're going to be very tasty at no. the very minimal. No, absolutely. Just like such like baked into the the oranges yeah those seem like two things that should not be next to each other yeah and obviously that you never see a character run from the oranges to the foundry because i'm sure the filming locations are 100 miles apart many, many, yes miles apart but anyway yeah the lady cop betrays them and tells the bad guys all the bikers where they are they all there's a chase she, that there's ends a up shootout in the, then there's a chase ends and, up in the foundry and there's a fight and the, the bad guy dies yeah it, it is that simple like it's, it's again an eighty four, eighty six minute movie, whatever it is. It's not John Wick simple, but it's pretty close to John Wick simple. Yeah, I didn't remember it being this straightforward. I mean, there are other scenes that happen. There's a lot of scenes of cops I mean, arguing about what. Oh, she should stay in the city. No, we should bring her upstate. And you know, there's that. And I mean, honestly, there's just there's a lot of killing. Yeah, a little bit of arguing, and then there's you know, of course, a little bit of a love scene or interest. Just because it feels like that has to be thrown into these movies. Yeah. It literally is like 30 seconds, if that. It's funny how little chemistry they have, considering they were married at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Stallone and, and Bridget Nielsen. You're, you're right. Um, despite the fact that I think she's good in this. I, I think her side of things, I feel like she's giving off more chemistry. I think part of it is just because this character of Cobra is just like um, this, you know... I mean, he's not totally closed Stone off, face, yeah, yeah, but it's pretty... Uh, he kind of is, and I mean, to me, what I enjoyed the most actually was Poppy as the comic relief, because he, he had, like, uh, he was the most, uh, certainly of those two, yeah. he was the most lively in this, and so I enjoyed almost every scene that he was in. Yeah, and Cobra is more interesting when he's talking to, with, with, yeah. with, uh, with Poppy. Yeah, Rodriguez, Gonzalez. Gonzalez. No, Gonzalez. Yeah, I knew, yeah, okay. Yeah, because they have kind of... 
the only times that Cobra gets jokey. Yes. You know, there's like the moment where it feels ad-libbed where they're talking and, and Cobra's like, oh, don't curse, you're in public, whatever. It reminded me of, uh, um, 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 what's the movie with Billy D. Williams? Uh, Nighthawks, uh, when, when Billy D. Williams, he throws a piece of paper on the ground. He's like, don't litter, pick that up, you know? Oh, you know what? That well, that wasn't the disguise squad. What squad was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it was not the zombie squad. It was not, well, no, but that's what I'm wondering. It was that, similar. That maybe this is like the L.A. version of... I mean, that might be... I think Stallone wrote both screenplays, so maybe he's just kind of... <laughs> oh, just zombie, yeah. zombie squad. Sure. Yeah, what was that called, Nighthawks? Yeah, it'll come remember. to me probably as we as we go along. So, I, I don't know. I think I think that sadly covers the plot pretty well. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's maybe one or two action scenes we skipped over. They attack Cobra at his apartment. So. Yeah, that's prior to the hospital scene. Yeah. That pretty much comes up in the body count, which is actually where a lot of this movie discussion probably will be. Uh, yeah, we'll see. But right. um, <laughs> that's, that's the plot, I guess. Yep. Uh, so yeah, this is definitely going to be a short episode, but uh, moving on to technology. It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? All right, technology. This is the uh, segment of the show where we discuss how technology uh, advances might have impacted the storylines, plot, or the ending of the movie. Uh, you want to take that again, or do you want to just... No, like, we're just going to keep going. You're, you're really uh, having we're, trouble here. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, but we're going <laughs> to we're gonna power through. This is this is more of a struggle to talk about. I mean, after I saw the movie, I'm like, oh, okay. It's going to be one of these episodes <laughs> where we're just kind of struggling to get through it. Uh, it's a bummer because I, I had fond memories. I felt that way, too. I'm like, oh, man, coming off of ICU, this is not good. We really needed a bounce back. But, yeah. That said, so I only had a couple of things on the technology front. Uh, the first one that I let off with is that the police in this universe and world really could use some form of communication. Walkie-talkies, cell phones, because the fact that there's a killer just, as you said, for like sport, warming up, limbering up, killing people at a hospital. Mm-hmm. Can nobody contact the police in any way, shape, or form other than... A landline between Poppy and Cobra right. is, is the only form of communication. Well, that's the funny thing is Cobra's at a landline. They're both at a landline because they're talking to each other saying, oh, how can we call the hospital? Call the hospital. It's very easily done. But I, some, some additional, whether it's walkie-talkie, something that's a little faster than a landline. Because you could have written in, in terms of calling the hospital, that the night slasher. He cut the line. Cut the yeah, lines okay. or like, you know, whoever would have answered the phone there. So you could have still gotten around that with landlines anyway. Yeah. So my point being is that it, walkie-talkies or walkie-talkies certainly existed. Right. Uh, or cell phones would have definitely changed at least that sequence and probably actually a lot of this movie. I guess that's what that's why the, the zombie squad is uh, you know they're off the grid. They get, right. you know they, they don't want the chief snooping in on what they're doing. They're right. out there cracking skulls. Absolutely, they, they, they can't right. be. On, they don't want body cameras. Exactly. Like yeah, that. they don't want anyone to be able to get to reach them. But yeah, <laughs> Cobra literally starts from a landline and says, "I got to get there," and like drives like a maniac to try to get there. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then doesn't even impact. That's, that's the thing that's most funny to me. He's like, "Oh no, I gotta, I gotta get to the hospital huge and save sequence her." Sequence of him just driving like a maniac, right? And he he never saves her. She saves herself by pulling the fire alarm. Yes, he gets there too late. She only saves herself based on her own ingenuity. Which, in some ways, I kind of appreciate actually that. Yeah, you know, she she took care of her own business. Yes, but but then. Why all the shots of Cobra frantically driving to the hospital? It's like we could have just stayed with her. Oh no! Is he going to make it in time? Is she going to get away? And then she gets away, and then he shows up. Oh, because you, you had to see him in that cool car. 
I guess so. It is a pretty cool car. I saw that that was Stallone's personal car or some kind of... Oh, I didn't see that. 1950-something or other. I don't even know. You think it was Stanley's car? From, um... From, uh... (sighs) Yeah, yeah. I'm also tired. I am getting old, man, because I'm now blanking out. The the 50s. Yeah, with Henry Winkler. Yeah, yeah. Lords of Flatbush. Yes, the Lords of Flatbush. Uh, They get Stanley's car? No, they had to steal a car, remember? So they didn't have any cars. Yeah, you're right. Unless he stole it from that uh, body shop that that didn't seem to care. He did not care in the least bit. That was the second car they stole. I was like, well, no one seemed to care, so I can can keep keep going back to the well. Yeah. I can't imagine that kind of a car. I don't know much about cars, but that thing wouldn't be able to hold up in a car chase. That thing looks like it weighs five tons. It probably did. Even, I'm sure it has an enormous engine, but But it had nitrous. It did have nitrous, you're right. Yeah, with a dedicated labeled button. Do, do you think Dom would have liked that car? Sure, it's got nitrous, so... Yeah, any any car with uh, nitrous, I'm sure Dominic Toretto would be on board. All right, do you have anything else? On th- I got one more on technology. Well, similar to the, the hospital, you know, talking about the hospital scene, uh, I think today, I don't think there's any way the Night Stalker goes to the hospital to try to kill this witness, because of all places, you know, the, the, the places that are most surveilled... Yeah, you're right. There's no way he's getting in and out of there without anybody. All they would have to do is look at the cam- the footage and say, oh, there he is. That's what he looks like. Now we don't need her as a witness. We have it on camera. Here's his face. And that so that gets actually exactly to mine, and it was more along the lines of CCTV and traffic cameras. Yeah. That there's no way that he's t- walking in broad <laughs> daylight. Well, it was, again, it wasn't broad daylight, but he's not walking out in the open and not being seen by all kinds of surveillance cameras. To, to be fair, he does have the perfect disguise of putting a little black in his hair and then putting glasses on. <laughs> no one will ever recognize me. We, Superman and Clark Kent. What I was thinking is it's, it was very Dr. Richard Kimball. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> he didn't have a beard to, to ch- uh, chop off, but he did have the frantic you know, putting the, the dye in his hair. Yeah, but the beard is really what does it in, in the case of Dr. Kimball. It's which, true. Uh, even then, people... Like, you know, isn't, it doesn't entirely Richard. get away. Richard. Right. Um, some of the technology things I was thinking about were leading me down some dark paths, so I, I don't even know if it's worth going down. How dark? Well, I just feel like... Night th- Slasher dark? This, uh, yeah, Night Stalker. Um, he should be the Night Slasher. He's, I mean, he, he uses knives. You don't really see him stalking people. He mostly just slashes them. He should be the Night Slasher. Or is it the Night Slasher? I think it's the Night Slasher. You're right, it is the Night Slasher. Have, yeah. we, have we been calling him the Night Stalker the whole time? That's probably start, my mistake. I start, no, I started with the Night Stalker, and then when I looked at my notes, I'm like, wait a minute, I said Night Slasher. So okay, I, you know what, yeah, I, my notes also say Night Slasher. That's, that's a better name, then. Okay. You're right, because he doesn't... <laughs> retract no, our previous criticism there, of the news. There's no subtlety of him whatsoever. He doesn't stalk anybody. <laughs> right. But, he just walks right up to you. Yeah, he just... He just this person's alone, I'm going to chop yes. you up. Um, yeah, I mean, the Night Slasher is descriptive. It happens True. at night, and he's slashing them. So how, how, this is like crazy. We never talked about that crazy oh, the crazy knife, knife he's got. that he has. That they're not brass knuckles. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm sure they just thought, oh, this would be a cool knife. So, so what? What dark place did you go? Well, to? I was just thinking the night slasher these days. Like you know, these guys exist on the internet. These like pseudo cult leaders, like roping people in. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. using particular rhetoric, and you know, like. This guy would be one of those guys on the internet now, you. like you know. So what you're saying on the dark web or whatever. He like, wouldn't. He wouldn't be having his cult meet and do a workout video with axes in an abandoned pool. You're saying that it would probably be something internet based that he would yeah. be preaching. They would be spreading, you know, fake news or whatever, yeah. like trying to. I mean, well, it's hard to say because again. 
they don't seem to have any ideology, so maybe, maybe that's not enough for this guy. Maybe you're right. Slashing. Well, they you, have, have, you have to have the slashing portion. You may. They may have ideology. Just nobody really says much on their side of the ledger. They just cut people up. Yeah, they hate cops and they they love anarchy. Yes, and that's I guess enough. Uh, but yeah, I, otherwise I don't have uh, any more technology. All right. Little well, details. Little details. That cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. All right. The little details, the segment of the show where we discuss minutiae that we found interesting or noteworthy in the movie. Uh, you want to lead off? Yeah, I mean, we should probably talk about that music video. Or, you know, it's not actually a music video, but... Let's the, go right there, because that's... The that, montage. It's a music video. Uh, it very much is. I mean, it... I think this is how you can really tell that Stallone directed this movie because it is There's No Easy Way Out Part 2, you know? Just in the same way that uh, in Rocky Four, the the scene of Rocky driving around and edited with flashbacks, cut to the music with no sound effects at all. It's the exact same. We we cut back and forth between uh, Cobra and uh, and, and Poppy uh, inter- interrogating people. Or not interrogating, but, you know, like questioning people, yeah. trying to get leads. And then cut to Bridget Nielsen. With robots. Uh, and a photo shoot with a, a series of, of, like, they're like props. They're not real robots. This isn't that much like Rocky IV. There's not, Seiko is, does not get a credit here. Right. Th- this movie is not portraying a world where these robots are autonomous and are actually doing things. They're just props for this photo shoot. I want to know what that photo shoot yeah, is for. Yeah, what magazine is this for? Is this, is this for an advertisement? Is this just like, you know, like for Vogue or something? Like, what is this for? And then is this supposed to be like, this is the style of the 80s is, you know, robot stuff. Like this is this what they're pushing for? It's like shorthand for the eighties yeah. robot stuff. This this is what's going to be in nineteen eighty seven. Get your robot accessories. I, um, I enjoy that sequence. It's one of the most enjoyable. Sequences. It's one of the most noteworthy enjoyable without it. It's actually a decent song. I kind of like that song, Angel in the City. Uh, but I, why robots? Yeah, never explained. It's not like uh, that. Photographer is like here's the here's the concept. You know, maybe that stuff was cut out. Hard to say, but uh, well, let's definitely. Let, I'm going to move then. This is down my list, but let's talk about that uh, that photographer and that photo shoot. Uh, present day one, I don't remember the actor's name. He's been in a lot of stuff that I know. He actually is in HBO. He's much older, obviously now. HBO Succession, which I'm actually watching right yeah, now. This is David Rash. I, I know because I I, oh, okay. I was like I know that guy. He was in In the Loop also. Oh yeah, and, yes. Yeah, that's that's mostly what I recognize him from. But he's been in a million things. Like he, right. I remember he's watching in, in the Loop and being like, "That's that guy. I know that guy." He, he's one of those, and he's I know a lot of character actor names. He's one that unfortunately I don't. But he is one of those guys. That, yeah, I mean, he was in Delirious with John Candy, a whole bunch of stuff that I remember from. Okay, you know, like the, the from the the '90s, he was in a ton of stuff. He's actually on HBO Succession from the '80s, apparently. I yeah. mean, uh, I mean, I'll bet he was in plenty of '80s stuff, probably. We're in smaller roles, but still. But let's talk about him because I'm going to tell you right now, the Me Too movement would have <laughs> had a field day I, with this guy. The words Me Too are also in my notes for the scene. Yeah, this guy if is the not Knights, subtle. If the Night Slasher hadn't got to him first, yeah. Twitter, it, to present day, Twitter and the Me Too movement would have flayed this guy it tick, alive. It ticks all the Me Too boxes. Oh. He's in a position of power over her. <laughs> I don't remember specifically what he says, but it's, he's, you know, his language is very sexual, right? It's not oh. just like, oh, let's, get, let's have a drink. No, he's, he's... I mean, it starts out where it's not over he, the top, 
But he's basically but, saying, like, you know... Oh, he, I think one of the lines is, what is it going to take for me to get in your pants? Right, I, yeah. Honestly, and I, I, that's paraphrased, but it's pretty close. And she says, like, no, I don't think so. And he's like... You want your career to advance? I mean, you're yes. right. He's literally, like, checking every box. Every single box. And then he says something about, like... It's, it's like Harvey Weinstein. And then oh, she's like... He's taking notes from this guy. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then he, she says, like... Unequivocally, like no, I'm not interested, or something like that. And he's like, "Well, how about we? Uh, I think I think you need more convincing. How about we have dinner, and I can, uh, you know, I, maybe I can convince you. Right. Like it's not even like I can convince you that uh, we should go out. It's like I should. It, he is trying to convince her to sleep with him. That's like, there's no, you know, it's no, not veiled in any way. No, not at all. So if he hadn't been horrifically murdered today, he yes. would have been just flayed alive by the Me Too movie. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I, I guess we're supposed to... I, I'm not sure how we're supposed to take that in 1986. Are we supposed to be glad that guy had it coming, that he, he, he What's funny it or, is, no, in, in 1986, I don't think that was necessarily the intention. Yeah, I don't think so. I think this is supposed to be like a comic relief. I think in the 80s, oh, this plays as a comic relief. Now, now that said, I mean, in the... Because this is 86, you had... You know, you had nine to five, and you had oh, what's uh, what's with Dabney Coleman with Dolly Parton? Is that nine to That's five? Nine to five. Yeah. So I mean, maybe, maybe that I, I don't remember when nine to five came out. So maybe, maybe you are supposed to say, oh, that guy got what he deserved. I'm, I don't know. Nine to five was earlier. Yeah. So 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 maybe there was a little bit of you know push from more women being in the workplace and things changing. So maybe you were supposed to want this guy to get cut. But the problem is, is that the killer, you don't get any motivation from him. So even if that was the, like the case, right, that you're supposed to say, oh, this guy has it coming from the Night Slasher. It's like, no, this guy's just a psycho. Right. The guy just happened to be there. Right. It doesn't feel like satisfying. Like, oh, you know, if he got run over by just a car or something, then maybe, yeah, he got his comeuppance. (laughs) Like that security guard. (laughs) Oh, that poor security guard. (laughs) Wow. Well, first of all, there's two poor security guards in this, too. But you know what? Let's talk about this first security guard. That guy. You want, I mean, he's going. He's trying to give her a bag that she left behind. I mean, he's like, yeah, hey, he, hey, what, what does he get for his trouble? This guy does not deserve it. He's, no. He goes out of his way to, to say, oh, this, she left her bag here, and he's trying to find her. And then he, the, the car is like, because the, the Night Slasher jumps in the car and is like, takes off towards them. Doesn't he throw her back in the elevator? Like, get out of the way. I think he basically yes. saves her life. Oh, he does. Yeah. And then the guy is just obliterated by this car. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> no, I it's think this not, is... It's not fair. Here's what I want to say about this guy, this this security guard. We Obviously, we tally the body count. We've seen a lot of fictional characters <laughs> killed on screen over the course of doing this podcast. This might be the most... Go this ahead. guy gets erased from existence. <laughs> I don't. Even, I, I, I was trying to figure out how they did it. I couldn't figure out how they got that shot. I, I wonder if they composited him in, like, like optically, and then as the car goes past, I think it's just they they drove a car into a wall. You're, and he wasn't there. You're talking, he's like Marty McFly. He's, he just is a race. <laughs> he's a race. The, once the car makes contact with him, there's no remnant of it. It's not like he's pinned to the wall or like right, he is, he's just he's gone. gone. He has been knocked into another dimension. I like. You know what? I hope that's the case. I hope he just wound up in another dimension. Sure, because he's just a good Samaritan. You know, he's not getting paid that much to do that job. He is not getting paid enough to run down the elevator to give, her, you know, some fashion model who's just been enjoying robots her her bag back. He's not getting paid enough, especially not getting paid enough to get run over. I hope he winds up in another dimension where it rains donuts or something. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that that poor guy, for sure. Also, wasn't there a third guy in that scene, just like a random passerby, just like, what's oh, going on here? Ah! Uh, there, so hold on, I've got... See, that I've guy's got, actually the, the funniest one. He just I, he just wanders into the movie, and is like, what's happening here? And is just what, what, comp- immediately what, murdered. All right, let, <laughs> let me go, and it, I'm going to say this, too. I was getting concerned as this movie was going on, because the Night Slasher is just wrecking shop in the first 30 minutes of oh, this yeah. movie. <laughs> Stallone catches up quick, though. All right, yeah, so I've got on the... Bo- I'll cut to the body count here just for a minute, but I've got... You got that poor hostage in the grocery store, bites it. But then I've got... You got Cobra Strikes for the first time because he, he gets the, the guy in the grocery store. Now we right. get to the, the Night Slasher. He kills the waitress, kills a woman after a fender bender, gets the photographer. Then I've got... Some poor yuppie with champagne just bites it. <laughs> That's right, he has champagne. He did. That guy's probably the same thing. He's just like, he's wandering in. He's probably got an anniversary coming up or yeah, something. Yeah, he, he was on his way to some kind of special event. I just, I mean, it's not like, you know, if it was Patrick Bateman or something, fine. That guy deserves it. This guy, he's just probably out there champ- celebrating right. some big deal that he closed he was, or an anniversary. He was, he was planning some kind of big night, that's yes. for sure. And, and yeah. he just, I mean, he bit it hard. Yeah. That makes it feel like a, a slasher movie, like, kind of like what you're saying. Just like this movie is just populating itself with, you know, victims essentially. Yeah, because the David Rash character is the same thing. It's like he's just this photographer. You think he's going to be a character? He's just there to be murdered by the night slasher. He's, I mean, they, uh, you get a little bit that he's a sleaze bag, so it doesn't feel as bad as the yuppie right. and some of the others. At least he's yeah, established I, as a character. Yeah, you he, get something. Even the security guard is established to one degree. You know, he, he's in a shot where he's not being killed. <laughs> Literally, that's the only shot that yuppie is in. He's, he, he enters the frame. <laughs> What's happening it. here? And just is, 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 what does he get stabbed? I forget how he gets yes, killed. I he does. I mean, he just. Oh, with an oh, axe, right? He gets the axe, yeah, because they all have axes in this one. Yeah. The axe gets stuck in pipes right. when they first try and uh, swing at Ingrid. It yeah, doesn't that's, work. That's, what she, that's how she gets away. All right, I want to talk a little bit about that opening opening scene. Okay, yeah, we should definitely talk about the opening scene. And it's more not necessarily... Eat, well, there's a few things in the store, but the, the build-up to it, I, I just... So you've got shots of skull and axe bones symbol randomly shows up, and then in between destruction of produce... You, well, that's that's their symbol, right? This cult, right? I, it is. They've but got it you get tattoos no, you, and yeah, but you get no background on it. So when I'm watching this movie, and I don't know anything about it. Just sure. there, and then produce is getting destroyed. Then at the end, there's just like multiple shots of just birds. No, no explanation as to why there's just birds. Is this the opening sequence where yes. the guy is riding up in the motorcycle with like that really like red sky? Because I, I really liked that the opening shots. Well, he's driving. He's riding up to the grocery store. You don't know who it is at first. I assumed it was Cobra. Yeah, it's like oh, here comes Cobra on his motorcycle. Nope, it's the bad guy. But I, I thought some of that, some of those shots were really cool. Like it's so the sky is so red. You're, so I, I don't know if those birds are part of that or if I, it was later. I, I it's a little bit later. Okay, it's I actually remember when the I birds. think Cobra and and because my next note here is and then Poppy shows up and I say how am I supposed to get through the rest of this movie? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, sure the whole time. It's not a pizza until it comes out of the oven. I couldn't get it out of my head. The shot selections and the cuts did not make a lot of sense to me of like what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, the first time you watch it, it's like, what is, what is this that I'm seeing? And in some cases, literally, because that opening shot, it's just a guy in silhouette. And it's, it's shot so kind of heroically, you think, like, that must be Cobra. And no, it's not no, totally the bad guy. Because he's going to show up with maybe 
the greatest vanity plate of all time. It's better than Lucky Ray for oh, sure. Oh, Cobra, what is it? I don't remember now. Awesome five <laughs> oh right. <laughs> How outstanding that that was one of the best highlights for me. I wouldn't be surprised if that's Stallone's actual license plate for that car that he owns because Awesome Five O. It's, it's a nineteen fifty something car, so that's See, I took I'm it sure. though, I took it though is that he's an awesome car. Oh that's so much better though, you're right. I think you are right, but because there's no there's not it, there's not a space in between. It yeah. is 50. I took it as awesome cop. You're 100%. No, I didn't even think of the, the term 5 Yeah, you're totally right. I think that's... I that's... think it's so you know that he's a good cop. I mean, but honestly, wouldn't that have been a nice touch for Jack Slater in Last Night in Awesome 5 Yes, if he had a vanity plate that said awesome 5 Yeah. Do we, he doesn't have any kind of vanity plate, does he? That's a missed opportunity in Last Action Hero. He does not, no. Yeah, it is a missed thought opportunity. of something. Yeah, but that's that's the kind of thing, like like, like Last Action Hero, it would have been nice if Cobra had a little more of a tongue, tongue-in-cheek quality. Like, right. I missed the, the five O part of that, but I mean, that's pretty funny. And <laughs> if if it was playing it a little more Jack Burton and, you know, and less... Uh, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry, yeah, I've just overconfident and sometimes in a in a way that is comical but of course stallone never likes to portray himself as being you know foolish or unlikable or anything he's got to be the most awesome guy the awesome 5-0 yeah and that's not necessarily a criticism but you know it's come up a couple of times in certain movies where it's it's like you know if stallone was a little more willing to be unlikable or a little more unwilling a little more willing to be to look foolish the movie might have had more dimensions to it. Agreed. This this movie is very one dimensional. For all sure. right. What, what else have you got? I got an, I got one thing I definitely want to talk about inside the store. Okay. Well, we're still talking about the store, so let's keep talking about the store. I don't know if I have too many details. I I, I know he. I have a note that he drinks a warm beer, which was uh, a Coors, I, he, I believe. Yes, too. it was a Coors. There's a lot of product placement in this movie. That's what I want to get to here. Okay. All right. All right so you've got in frame. So you know, the. Cobra is, you know, making his way through the grocery store because, of course, sw- nobody else goes in but but Cobra, of course, into this hostage situation. Yeah, I mean, they don't even really seem to try to negotiate. Oh. I mean, it's just like, oh, this guy means business. Call Cobra. <laughs> yes, let Poppy hang out outside, and Cobra's going in. Yeah, but in in one of the shots as he's trying to make his way to where the hostages are and where uh, the perp is. You've got Pepsi Free perfectly in frame. Yeah. And then maybe the greatest marketing item in a store I've ever seen. You've got a giant can of Pepsi, <laughs> and there's some sort of twisty thing to make it look like right. soda is you know pouring out of the can. It's like a barber pole. You're right. It's like a barber pole. And then I, I'm telling you right now, I wanted that perp to bite it because when he shot and destroyed that Pepsi can, I'm like, this guy needs to go. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that's what we're supposed to believe, you know, considering, uh, you know, obviously Pepsi is associated with our hero to the point where Cobra has a gigantic <laughs> Pepsi neon sign in his apartment. It's not even in his apartment. It's outside. Right. It's like, is there, there's like a rooftop 
like lounge or whatever, like yes, outdoor. Yes, and he loves area. Pepsi so much. He's got a giant neon sign. I don't know if we're supposed to believe that Cobra put up put up that sign. I think this <laughs> I'm is. I'm telling you right now, in my world, Cobra put up that sign. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, he definitely when when the bad guy in the grocery store took out that Pepsi, he stand, was not happy. Yeah, that's when he turned up. He's like, "It's time to take you out." Yes. Um, you're you're the disease, and I'm the cure. You're your <laughs> disease of taking out Pepsi's. What's funny is that's actually my notes are along those lines. As I said, that's and. This is Cobra's cue. This guy now needs to go. (laughs) (laughs) Killing people in the store is one thing, but destroying that Pepsi. No, but I think the giant neon Pepsi, I think more than likely that's that's the apartment building selling that space to Pepsi. Yes, of course it is. You know, and like, I I hope at the very least uh, Cobra gets like a break in his rent. For that, you know, I hope they get a piece of that advertising. Well, I've got some other stuff to talk about his apartment, but I want to do it in questions. So we'll, we'll save okay, it for there. We can save it. Well, since we're talking about Pepsi and food things, I have a list of all of the food that is either eaten or discussed in this movie because there's a whole lot of it. Well, there's certainly a lot of signs for beer. I can tell you that. There was Schlitz in there. There was Miller. There was Coors. I'm not even talking about background stuff. I'm, I'm talking about food oh. that our characters either eat or talk about. Pop, Poppy talks about a lot of junk food. Yes. So I've got the list here. So first things, in, in order of appearance, uh, the first food we see is Cobra has pizza in his place. Okay. All right. We need to go to my question on this. <laughs> okay. Uh, should we say, we can save the discussion. I just have a list of food. Or do you want to talk about it now? He cuts it with scissors. <laughs> well, I, I think is that actually one of the more famous things of this movie is people remember this that Cobra cuts pizza. With I will a never pair forget it. And here, I, this is from my questions, and this is maybe my most important question. Okay. I said, "What kind of a maniac is Cobra? He keeps <laughs> He's the a, pizza slasher. He keeps a single slice of pizza in the freezer, not in the fridge. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice it was it's in the freezer. In the fr- no, because in the freezer he also has his gun kit yes, for and, cleaning kit. Yes." And then he cuts it with a sp- not in like half that he's going to have. He just cuts off a little piece, a corner, like the end of the the slice. And he eats just that. <laughs> right. What the hell? It's very strange. Well, it, it it almost feels stranger because like he pulls that egg carton out, and you're thinking like, is he going to crack an egg on this pizza? But no, he's got gun stuff in it. So so and, I, and- I think I think for me, I was like, okay, there's no eggs involved. He's just eating a pizza. So. The weirdness of cutting it with... I mean, also, I remembered this before. Can you answer the question? Because this comes after. I have it in here. This is after causing a totally unnecessary altercation over a parking spot and ripping a guy's shirt out front. What kind of a maniac is Cobra? Oh, right. Yeah, those guys. that's, That's weird, too. Well, I'll answer your question in a second, but I have a question about those guys. Okay. We're we're stacking questions on top of each other now, which maybe it's... But since you brought them up... Are they saving that space for him? Is that what the deal is? No, I, I took that as is he always parks there, and they they were taking up like one and a half spaces, and part of it was Cobras, and that oh, okay. wasn't going to go well. I thought maybe they were like he paid them to save his spot right out no. right in front of the apartment, but no, they weren't moving fast enough, it, so they got mad and tore the guy's it shirt. It seemed like they were trying to make it shorthand that they were gang members and like you know street oh, toughs. Yeah, I mean it's kind of uh, stereotypical. Oh, big time racist stereotypical, yeah. but it's 1986. It's not surprising, right? But then he tears the guy's shirt for no reason, and then when I cut to, I cut to him the next scene. He walks into his apartment, opens up the freezer takes out a slice of a single slice of pizza and cuts off a corner and eats it this guy's a maniac 
I mean, I, what kind of a guy does this? I think yes. a guy who is counting calories because I, I have a theory about <laughs> what I have a theory about this. About all the food in this movie. Why he only sips a, what, takes a sip of a warm beer? Yeah, sure, yeah. He, I don't think he finishes that no, beer. No, he doesn't at all. He yeah. takes one sip. Takes one sip and then just what, throws it on the floor or something? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be also counting calories. I didn't even think about that. Um, I don't, I really didn't pay attention to like beverages. I was just listing foods. So, okay, there's, right. there's the pizza. He cuts off the corner with scissors and eats it. Uh, then, yeah, Poppy is eating candy. I think he's eating a Butterfinger, and Cobra chides him for it. He suggests something natural like prunes or raisins or fish and rice. <laughs> prunes is such a great choice. <laughs> I, again, I have a theory about this. So let me li- go through the okay. list and I'll tell you what I think is going on here. Okay. Okay. During the uh, the they're they're questioning uh, Bridget Nielsen, and there's hospital food there. And of course, this is the '80s, <laughs> and they can't pass up hospital food jokes because that was that was the big thing in the '80s: is hospital food jokes. And he says, "Oh, try so TV you- dinner jokes." Sorry. What is that from? I recognize uh, it. It's Janine Garofalo in the Krusty episode where he com- comes oh, back and is actually a sure. comedian. TV dinner jokes. Yeah, but anyway, Cobra offers the food that's... That says, Try this. It's, it looks kind of like cheese. And uh, Gonzalez is like, well, there's some cake over there. And then I think neither of them actually eat the cake. Then when they're, they're leaving the hospital to go upstate, uh, Cobretti offers Bridget Nielsen a bite of... a disgusting like almost entirely eaten apple yes, it's, it's just the core just the core basically there's nothing left yeah there, maybe there was like one bite left and then she refuses and he goes what you don't like health food <laughs> no i don't like eating food. <laughs> oh no, yeah it's, it's basically trash uh but there's there's more on the way upstate uh gonzalez comes out of the gas station with a giant handful of candy and he goes like it's a great day for junk food and uh meanwhile Cobra's like, why don't you add some meat to your diet? And then he, he, there's like a, like a novelty frog. Is why don't yeah. you add some meat to your diet? Kind I don't of like frog legs. No, I don't like frog legs. And then uh, Gonzalez, he bonds with Bridget Nielsen because they both like junk food. And he goes, fellow garbage belly. Uh, then they stop at a diner and Bridget Nielsen is smothering her, <gasps> her fries with ketchup. Just drowning it. Yeah. And I he, mean, there's a joke made about it, but it really is drowning. Yeah, he goes, do you, have a, do you have a life preserver? Because your french fries are drowning. And then, in the end, after Gonzalez has been injured by the bad guys in the final shootout, he's like, there's only one thing I want from you. Gummy bears. I, actually, I have the line, because my, my last oh. little detail is, I would kill for some, kill some gummy, gummy bears. bears. Yes. So let me tell you what I think is happening here. Okay. Why there's so much food-related stuff in this movie. It came out in 86, so presumably made, or at the very least, written in 1985. 1985 is the year that Sylvester Stallone went from being an actor who was in good shape, every, everyday good shape, not like yeah. bodybuilder good shape. And then Rambo 2 is the, is the point when he got into actual like bodybuilding shape. I think this was being written at a time when he missed all the food that he couldn't eat anymore. He was missing it, and he just was obsessing with food because you know he was on the strip diet. Put it all in this movie, and I think it was all coming out in the screenplay. I think Sylvester Stallone was saying he, he just I'm missed, hungry. He missed all the junk food, you know, because obviously, you know, a lot of that kind of physique is diet. So I'm sure like he could not eat any more gummy bears. Or French fries with ketchup smothered. I'm sure all of this was just. You probably need a lot of prunes. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's the thing is Cobra is the one suggesting all the health food, and right. I think I think it's just this is this is Stallone's psyche coming out. You're of just, probably right. Yeah, You're probably right. As in 1985 when he was getting into bodybuilder shape. All right, so I'd like to talk a little bit about Cobra 
and he he is certainly not John Kruger because witness protection is not his forte. He, to be fair, it's not his fault. There's a mole in the operation. But, but hold on, no. What I'd like to cover here, he drives like a madman with the witness in the passenger seat. That is true. And he chases after the. <laughs> The Night Slasher and his goons that are trying to kill them. Yeah. He che- it's like, all right, it's one thing that, you know, okay, to try and get away. And then he get No, he is actively engaged in a chase with the witness they're trying to kill in the passenger seat. Yeah, but consider the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to catch or kill the Night Slasher. If he's able to kill the Night Slasher, then she's not valuable anymore. He would gladly make that trade. If she died, but he got the Night Slasher... Because he doesn't need her if he kills a Night Slasher. Like, what difference does it make? I guess, but that's not what he's been tasked with. And how does he know? Did she, I can't remember. Does she say that's him? I don't think she she identifies. No, probably not. Not during the chase. No, so it, he, he's just chasing after some thugs. Sure. Well, this is just his instinct. I, I know it is. That's what I'm saying. He's terrible at the yeah. job he's been given. I mean, he's putting people at risk this entire movie. He's putting all of the people in that grocery store at risk. by. But he gets results. He does get results. But he's being very flippant. The guy's got a gun to a bunch of people's heads, and he's just like, hey, hey dirtbag. I don't shop here. <laughs> right? That's exactly. his answer to it. Yeah. He's on, I, he's on the PA system mocking the guy. It's like, he, that, that guy could very easily be like, shut up, boom, I killed somebody just because you're, you're not taking me seriously. Yes. Yeah, so he doesn't care. Cobra is not interested in the, the you know, his, his job is not protect and serve. It's, his job is kill and maim. It's drop bodies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the zombie squad. All right. What I else? think I think really it's the captain's fault. He's just poorly equipped he's for the enabled. job. He's enabled. Yeah, he's not a protector. You don't put Co- Marion Cobretti in, on this job to protect a witness. You're right. You put him on the job of going out and cracking skulls. I mean, this movie would have been better if it was just, you know, I mean, whatever. I do think that Bridget Nielsen is good, but... Yeah, having the whole movie be about her and protecting her, I think it would have been more fun if it was more like he's just, just make it just make it a full de- on make it death wish. Yeah, make it a war. Just whatever. Yeah, make it death wish. All right. Uh, all right. What else you got in the little details? What else do I have? That's a good question. Oh, <laughs> we need to talk about the sketch artist. <laughs> that guy, the drawing that comes out of that guy, <laughs> so terrible. It looks like. A cartoon on, like, Adult Swim. You know what it actually reminded me of? <laughs> What's that? Speaking of Seinfeld, when George wants to be airbrushed, he wants uh, the, the photograph. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it right. It reminds me of, this is a cartoon. I need a photograph. That's what it reminded me of. And her her, her response, I interpreted it as just being polite. Because, <laughs> like, the sketch artist like, here, here's what I drew. And she's like, I guess that kind of looks like him. Like, I just thought that she was being polite. Like, she really wanted to say, like, that's terrible. This is awful. <laughs> I just, I don't really have much comment other than I, I wanted to make sure we talked about him. Because that terrible. sketch. I want, like, a t-shirt of that drawing or something. Or some kind of, like, poster. <laughs> It was so hey, funny. I, to me. I think I did pretty good. I had to draw this guy from memory. Yeah. I mean, it's a visual thing. There's nothing to talk about, no. but I just thought it was so funny. It is. I, so I don't know if I necessarily recommend this movie, but definitely if you're watching it, be be excited for when they're going to get 
Bridget Nielsen uh, Ingrid sitting down and making the description for the, 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 the sketch. And this is Los Angeles. It's not like it's the <laughs> middle of nowhere. You'd think they'd be able to get one of the top five sketch artists in the country. I was just going to say, it's L.A. It's the, it's the ground zero for <laughs> <Right>. artists. <laughs> sure, that too. And right. crime in the 80s. Yes. So for sure. You've got to have a better sketch artist on staff. You've you got to think that they probably have three of the best five sketch artists in the country probably <laughs> in L.A. I hope so. <laughs> I mean that's a technology thing. Like a lot of that stuff is on computer now. You just yeah, like choose right. a set of eyes, choose a set of like, right. choose a nose, and you know, I'm sure sketch artists still exist, but I'm sure it works way different now. Yeah, I'd be I curious. Know. Actually, I don't even know how it works. Yeah, I haven't seen a sketch artist in a movie in 25 years. I'll bet. Ooh, that's a good question. When's the last sketch artist I you mean, saw on a scene it, in a movie? If I might have seen one, but it also probably was a movie or TV show set set in yeah, yeah set yeah. in 20, 30, 40 years ago. Probably. Yeah, I wonder what they do now. All right. Uh, what else? Uh, that, I, we've covered most of what I had in the little details. What else have you got? Uh, I just have a couple more. We talked about a lot of it, but um, uh, oh, I do. I have one more. So, well, I, I just uh, a comment about the opening scene. This this guy who 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 attacks this grocery store picked the wrong grocery store because it is right next door to Winchell's Donut Shop, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the police response is immediate. You're right. As I- soon as a gun goes off, th- this place is surrounded by cops. I think they were right next door the whole time. I missed that. I did notice inside, I think it's inside, one of the first things that I saw was a sign, and it's a quote, this is a good place to shop, which I immediately thought, I'm like, well, not today, it's oh, not. Oh, you missed the entire thing. Oh. The whole quote was, this is a good place to shop, not to shoplift. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, that's, what, that's the whole thing. That's awesome. Yeah, so. Well, because there's so much crime. I mean, we got the the, the stats from... Cobra at the opening of the movie. That's true. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Cobra's statistics. I mean, it, it very much gives you what its political point of view is right. from, from that, from the very opening get-go. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very much trying to justify yeah, anything that Cobra does is okay because... Look at, look at how terrible it is. Right, exactly. All right, so th- this is the shootout sequence was... Uh, it was okay, but I don't know why, but I just had... <laughs> The way that Poppy jumps out of... So there's a Molotov cocktail thrown in the cabin that he's in. He jumps out the window. Something about it made me laugh, but in particular, when he gets shot in the leg, and the way his body just like jerks back, ah, the face he makes was very noteworthy and funny. (laughs) I mean, speaking of Seinfeld, obviously with Poppy in this movie, we're doing a lot of Seinfeld comparisons, but um, it was basically the uh, face that Frank uh, Costanza makes when he sits on Fusilli Jerry. (laughs) What? You're wrong! It's just, yeah. It's a very similar acting moment. Million to one shot, Doc. Million to one. But yeah, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. That, that was my last one on the little details, so I, feel free to fire away. I've got a few more. All right, I want I want to uh, praise the movie in one uh, aspect. I really thought it was clever. The moment where Cobra uses a laser sight as a decoy. Yeah. That's actually very clever. And this is a time when that was still new, and obviously the Terminator uses laser sight only yeah. like two years earlier. Um, you know, and it's like, oh, the laser sight, what's he going to, you know, he's going to blow some guys away. No, he actually uses his brain, which is, you know, one of the few times in this movie there's actually something clever. So I, I thought that was really smart. That was. That was. Um, oh, it annoyed me. Well, one of these cafes where they stop, uh, Gonzalez, Poppy, parks his car basically on some train tracks. He parks it un- oh. under the, the gates, like the the... I missed that completely. There's a good catch. This place is right next to some train tracks, and I'm telling you, if a train came by, that car was not going to be there when they come out of that cafe. <laughs> uh, I, so. I, 100%. I just I did not notice it. It's a good catch. 
I did have a note here about because uh, that song "Angel in the City" that plays during the montage. Part of that montage, we cause I think we misspoke because we said it's cutting back and forth between the cops investigating and her photo shoot. But there's a third thing it's cutting to, and it's it's the night slasher sharpening his knife oh, yeah. right at the moment where the the song's like at the edge of a knife. Cut to knife being sharpened. Oh, I, I missed that. I Talk r- about getting hit on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I really rolled my eyes at that. So. Uh, I think that's the last detail I've got here, so I think we can move on. All right. right, Let's questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. All right, The Devil's Advocate, the segment of the show where we post questions to one another that we uh, came up with while watching the movie and do our best to try and answer them. Do you want to lead off? I actually, unfortunately, burned through a number of mine already, but I've got a few left. Yeah, I've burned through a lot also. Uh, This is... This is maybe a question that is not answerable because the screenplay is not great, but uh, I was just curious, why does the Night Slasher and his goons, when they attack Bridget Nielsen in the parking garage after the photo shoot, why do they have nylons over their heads? What do they care? None of their murders prior to this, they, they, we talked about, they don't try to identify, uh, hide their identities. No, they don't. Uh, this time, all of a sudden. Well, okay. The, the other ones that we've seen them where they haven't tried to hide their identities... At least was in what appeared to be a shady part of town and dark out. This, they're going to attack within, uh, I'm going to guess, a nice hotel or something. Um, yeah, they've got a security guard, and it's a photo shoot. It's a parking garage. So maybe they figured they're more like, and that poor yuppie, right? That guy that bites it. Yeah. They were trying to hide their identity from the yuppies. But what you can undermine that on is that... Th- I don't know why they need to hide because they just mowed that guy down. They, they didn't even give him like a chance to survive anyway. So if you're just going to mow everybody down, what does it matter? There's not going to be anybody left. Yeah, I think that it seems to belie a lack of belief in themselves. Like prior murders are like, well, we're going to kill everybody. So what does it matter? There's no, not going to be anybody left. Yeah, they're, they're starting to lose confidence in themselves, I feel like. Maybe. All right. So here's the first one I had. And I kind of asked it, but I'm going to maybe ask it more formally. Okay. I want to know, did the, like the Jane Fonda, did the workout video craze of the 1990s was, or 80s, excuse me, was that the inspiration for this cult? Because the opening sequence, you got them clanging their axes together and all like work. It felt like a workout video to <laughs> That's me. That's true. Or like sweating to the oldies with uh, Richard Simmons. Yeah. So I want to know, is is the Night Slasher, is, is his backstory really, he had an idea, like six-minute abs, right? So seven, six, seven. Did yeah. he have a failed workout, and this is him exacting his revenge? I mean, it, it's almost all shoulders, I feel like. It's like clanging axes over your head. You're <laughs> only working out a very think. narrow part of your body there. <laughs> and that's maybe why it was unsuccessful. <laughs> sure, maybe. Yeah, maybe that was the scam of he starts out uh, you know, as this workout guru, and then it's like, all right, we're going to replace those weights you're carrying with axes. Trust me, this will be better for your arms. And you're going to clang them. Right. In harmony with one another. Exactly. I, 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 it's not exactly the best question, but that's immediately what I thought. I'm like, this is like a workout video. It did all it needed. Yeah, was the the night slasher being like one, two, <laughs> three? Because they had one pie, eye, <laughs> two pie. Eye. Yeah. We're gonna do uh, um, like uh, lumberjack twists. <laughs> <laughs> Take your axes. Let's go. I did notice that some people in that scene have, like, smaller axes. Like, they didn't get the good axe. They didn't get, like, no. log-chopping axes. They got, like, little hand axes. And I think that's because they haven't earned their stripes. I think that there's a hierarchy to this cult. And for you to get the big axes, you have to, uh, oh, sure. you know, earn so, I don't know, earn so many points or... 
cause so much, you know, a certain level of mayhem before you're able to move yourself up. It's like, what were the tiers in End of Days? The Satanists <laughs> had different tiers, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Although that cult really didn't make any sense either. No, there were, there were actually a lot more of them than there are of uh, Night <laughs> it Slashers. It seemed like games. there was a million of yeah, them. Yeah, there were. What were they? Were torch guys? And then I forget what the, the tiers were. It was a long time ago. Um, the torch guys were the best. I want to. This isn't a question, but it, uh, that reminded me because we never talked. Uh, Brian Thompson, who's the villain, he is one of the guys at the beginning of Term- the Terminator, the, the not Bill Paxton punk. Oh, you're right. He's the guy who goes laundry day, nothing clean. Uh, and I was wondering if he's putting on a voice or if he like if they pitched his voice down because in the Terminator he just sounds like a regular guy. Right, laundry yeah. day, nothing clean. Here is pig. I'm gonna kill you, pig. I think he was. Going and trying for something. You think that's him putting on a voice? Yeah, I think so. Because then later, uh, he played Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, if you've seen that movie. No, I have not. How the bad second is, Mortal Kombat. How bad is it? It's kind of amazing. It's fu- kind of fun bad. It's so... <laughs> it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But in that movie, he's doing a deep voice. Like, maybe his voice just got deeper as he... No, I, I bet that, he... Yeah, Terminator was only two years before this. Yeah, no, I, I think he was trying to... Give him a Buffalo Bill type, sure. uh, okay, not accent, but voice. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Anyway, back to questions. All right, is well, it my turn? Yeah, you're up. All right. Why would the Night Slasher bother to attack Ingrid in the hospital when he has this mole and knows they're going to take her to a safe house, and he knows that he will be able to attack at the safe house? Why is this his strategy? Why not wait until they move her? Well, all right, I think... I don't think he knows that they're going to move her because when she's in the hospital, they just want to talk to her. It's, they don't move her until after the attempt on her life in the hospital. Isn't that the plan already, though? I thought they were already talking about getting her out of the city before that happened. And then it was like, well, this, this settles it. Maybe you're right. I don't remember. Okay. All right. So then why, uh, let, let's assume your your hypothesis is correct. So then what would be the logic of not just waiting? To, yeah. Well, he doesn't know that Officer Alice, I actually don't remember. I had it written down, but I can't find it. Yeah, I'm sure it's in, somewhere in my notes, too. He doesn't know that she'll nest. I don't think she's a member of the zombie squad, so I don't know if he knows that she would be assigned. No, yeah, that's true. She's a uniformed cop. She's got correct. A, she's wearing a uniform most of the movie. Most, in, until they're, they're on, the, on the road headed up. To north, not northern, but north in California from yeah. L.A. So that's the reason why I think is that I don't think he, you know, could take the chance that she wouldn't know where Ingrid was going to be. Sure. Okay. All right. They know where she is now. Why risk it? Yes. Okay. I guess that makes sense. All right. So what do I have next? All right. So I ha- I already asked what kind of maniac Cobra is. I I can't get get over that slice. <laughs> hey, of send pizza. send a maniac to catch a maniac. <laughs> It's been a long time since we did that (laughs) movie. That's true. That is for sure. This is the only kind of cop that Sylvester Stallone likes to play. He doesn't want to play. I mean, I guess the uh, Ray Tango. Yeah, Ray Tango was not. He was. He was. He was a regular, not not a maniac cop. Without not to be confused with Maniac Cop, the film Maniac Cop, which is a different thing. All right. So here's my my next question. I couldn't answer. Okay. So you've got a killer who is maiming and stabbing people in a hospital. Yes. How is it that there is no reaction from anybody on that floor well, when that, people are being maimed and stabbed? You have Ingrid pounding on doors, yelling for help, pounding on the front desk. But how is it that as soon as that fire alarm comes off, 
Everybody <laughs> yeah, in that hospital. That's true. On that what? floor. I think those are all supposed to be patients that come okay. pouring out of the room. I think you're right, but let me ask you again. Okay. How is it that oh. nobody seems to hear anything going on but a fire alarm? Boom. The patients are all heavily sedated. And her scre- she can't scream loud enough, you know, but, but a fire alarm is piercing, so, you know, okay. I think that, that's probably the, my explanation. That's a good attempt at an explanation, <laughs> but I think you know that the real well, answer is it's absurd. Yeah, I mean, this is the slasher sequence, and, you know, it's not scary unless it feels like she's isolated. By herself. Right? Well, I have a similar question, so let's d- right. go right to this. She is attacked in her hospital room. Luckily, she's in the bathroom when he attacks he, he like makes a he goes like pretty hair and then he attacks like, I don't even know what that was about. There's no it's not like she put a fake wig. Like no. what does he react? There's no I, hair to you, look. You get nothing to know what motivates this guy. So who knows what that line means? It's weird from a motivation point of view, but it's also weird just from a logistical point of view. Like what hair? She's in the bathroom. She, she you know, unless maybe there was she, we were supposed to believe she left a wig on her hospital bed because she's wearing a bunch of wigs in that photo shoot. So maybe that's the idea is. But we never see a wig. It's like there's like something missing there. I yeah, you're right because he just he immediately comes in and starts stabbing at the bed that she's not in. Right. The only thing that's even close to a wig is in the sequence where he winds up killing the nurse, who's the apparently the only person on the floor that can hear anything, because she walks in the room and there's a patient who he must have already killed with right. a, with the mop. That's the closest thing to a wig is the mop that's sitting next to the patient. Well, he's just getting rid of his mop, right? Yeah. He was disguised as a, as as a, a janitor. janitor. Yeah, but what I'm saying he is... He gets chided. The nurse chides him for breaking uh, health protocols. There, but the point being is there's nothing close other than that mop of looking like a wig anywhere right. in this sequence. Anyway, but my, my actual question is he attacks the bed. She's not there. She's in the bathroom. She just comes out and spots him. He starts attacking her through the door, like breaking through the door with his axe. It's an adjoining room, so there's a door to the next room over, which is blocked by a bunch of crap. No, the next room over is not actually a room. Okay, she, she falls out into the hallway, when then she's running and screaming. So there was wait. So that ba- that bathroom goes right out into the hallway. Logistically, it makes no <laughs> sense, but yes, that bathroom goes right out into the hallway. Well, well my question was going to be, who put all that equipment there, blocking the door in an obvious fire code hazard, or did the night slasher put that there, anticipating that she would try to escape he, through the adjoining bathroom no, door? I don't think he put it there. I think I, it yeah. was just incompetence, but there's a lot of incompetence in this hospital. So uh, Apparently. The geography of that doesn't make sense. If, it goes, if that goes right out to the hallway? I'm just... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't remember, so I'm sure I'm you're right. I'm pretty sure she immediately stumbles out into the hallway and then is running frantically. She, I mean, because that's just such an artificial moment of like yeah. trying to make it a slasher sequence because it's like I can't get out this door. It's like why would that door be? It shouldn't blocked be. in any way. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So my next question, I want to know after the so the chase sequence where Cobra is driving like a maniac with the person he's supposed to protect in the seat next to him. Yeah. They eventually, he flips his car because he's driving like such a maniac. Well, he turns, he spins it around. He doesn't flip it. No, they flip it over. Oh, he, they, hit, they hit a boat. They hit, yeah, a, okay. they hit a boat, flip over. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the end of the scene, uh, the chase scene in uh, Stop My Mom Will Shoot. It's exactly it's an elaborate like chase scene and then it's right into a dumpster or right into a boat. It's like, wait, weren't you supposed to be the great driver? It's exactly like that. <laughs> so isn't there all, wasn't there a chase sequence in one of the Schwarzenegger movies where we had, like, hold on to your hats? Oh, what movie was that? Oh, that was in... Was um, Raw Deal? It was, it was a Chicago movie, so maybe it was Red It Heat. was either Raw Deal or Red Heat. It might have been Red Heat. No, and, I think it was Raw Deal, because I think 
He's going after there's those mob of, guys. Yeah, there's geography that doesn't make sense there because they get off the Kennedy and somehow are in like an industrial area. No, know? they're at uh, Navy Pier. That's what it is. You're right. It's at yeah. Navy Pier. They, they grab your hats and uh, tears the top off the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a raw deal. All right. So, I, sorry. I got, I got distracted there. What I want to know is after Cobra flips the car, they're clearly vulnerable there. The Knight uh, Slasher, he just takes off running. Why would he run away? He has what he wants. He has Ingrid right there. Because it's Cobra, and he's, uh, you know... He doesn't know mess who with Cobra, Cobra is. He does at this point because they're the ones who attacked. They wanted to take out uh, these cops. They ambushed the cops. They did ambush, and it was unsuccessful. So maybe you're right. Maybe that's why he takes off. <laughs> they apparently didn't bother to kill, uh, uh, you know, Poppy, Poppy. and, and uh, well, lady, lady Cop. They, oh, she's in on it. So. They, they disable their car because their car gets hit. Yeah, they just knock them out of the chase. Yeah. Because they really want to kill her. They're, yes. they're so... I mean, the Night Slasher is so... Focused. Like, yeah, this is all he wants to do now. Because you're right. It's he like, actually... He had Poppy dead to rights. He could have just... If he was truly... If he was Slater from ICU, he would have taken out Poppy for sure. Yeah, definitely. Why not? Poppy was alone in the car with the lady cop. Right. She could have just turned and stabbed him and no one would have known. No, the Night Slasher came. You're right. What? Yeah. I mean, anytime... You can't do that because then you'd know she was the mole too early. Oh, but I think at that point we already know. We learned that pretty early. This movie is not yeah, playing right. the mystery of that. It's playing it for suspense. We know way early. You're right. Because for most of the movie, not, we're going, oh, no, you don't know that it's she, her. You're right, because she's actually part of the crew that Ingrid wit- witnesses right. the murder. She's actually part of the crew. She's thing. the one who walks up to the window saying, oh, yeah. sorry, I ran in, I rear-ended Exactly. You. So, yeah. yeah, you know pretty So early. you're right. I think you learn, you, we're introduced to her before we know she's a cop, and then we learn she's a cop when we see her you're right. at the precinct looking up uh, yep. uh, Ingrid's, Ingrid? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Address, which All they right. don't end up doing. We never see her home address. Anyway, what else do I have? I really only have one more. One of them is basically just an observation. During the chase, there's two tanker trucks they drive between, and for some reason, there's a bunch of rebar like between the two tankers. <laughs> and I was like, why is all this rebar there? But it's, it's, just, I don't, it's really just an observation. Uh, I don't have a good answer for that one. Um, yeah, it it's, it's probably doesn't belong in questions. I only have one left, really. So I've got two, so I'll, I'll, go, yeah. I'll go one. You and, go ahead. Yeah, all right, so... Let me ask you this. Why would Cobra be the least bit surprised that Ingrid cannot sleep? He is assembling an automatic weapon while she's trying to sleep within the same room. Could any human being, as he's putting in pins and putting on a laser sight, how is he surprised that she can't fall asleep? Are you saying that the noise would keep her awake or the the fact that there is a lethal weapon two feet from her head? A little from column A, a little <laughs> from column B. This is like Homer coming into the, the bedroom of the, the boat. Bart, you want some brunch hey, before you go to bed? Hey, Bart, you like my hockey mask and chainsaw? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is very similar. <laughs> I mean, it, it is almost the same situation. Cobra is a maniac. Bart is, is being threatened by a killer. Yes. And she, they're in protection. They're hiding. Yeah, it's the same, It's almost the exact same scene. All right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really notice that. We didn't talk much about all that stuff because then there's like a love scene. They have sex, right? It's implied. Yeah, it's yeah, implied. So. Yeah, you get a little kissing, but yeah, it's implied. Yeah, okay. But like there's nothing to that. The love story in this movie is so perfunctory. I don't even know if there's anything to talk about. We Not never mentioned it, so no, it's like I, the, <laughs> we're almost through with the podcast. Like, because, oh, right, there's that. No, because there, there's no reason. It's completely tacked on just because, I guess maybe because they're husband and wife in real life. I don't know. There's no reason. There no, there's no need for it. There is no need for it, but this is pretty typical of this type of movie from this it, time. It's typical, it's, but... It's like The Running Man. I remember I was talking about how perfunctory that romance was. You're right. 
I'm the ma- I'm the leading man. You're the leading lady. So yep. obviously we have to be together by the end. I guess you're right. It's just Cobra doesn't at any point in time in this movie give any indication he's in interested in anything but killing and maiming. No, that's true, even after they have sex. <laughs> it's like, you'd think this would be a moment that they could use... Vulnerability it, or something? Yeah, in the end sequence where it's like, now she's being threatened and he's behaving differently because now he cares for her. No, there's no difference. It's not like he's making different decisions. You he's, know. he's still reckless and maiming and killing. Right. <laughs> At no point do you feel like uh, he actually cares for her. You know, they, they don't even bother to illustrate it in that final scene where she's in danger... And he's still preoccupied with killing the vi- more preoccupied with killing the villain than protecting her. And 100%. and he's giving speeches about how I'm where the law ends, and I don't even remember what he says, but it's pretty bad. Right. Literally making like taking the subtext of the Dirty Harry movies and making a text. Yes, like it's just like I'm I own the law. I, I, well, he doesn't care about the law. This is where the law stops, and now I'm going to kill you. You know, I'm not going to bring you in and follow the law. I'm going to. I'd rather just kill you. And whatever, whatever. Anyway, right. we're still with questions, right? Yep, what's your last question? I got one more. All right, well, speaking of that final fight, uh, why is all this smelting equipment turned on in the, like, first thing in the morning with no employees present? Well, It's the, dawn, right? They attacked the hotel at, at dawn. And the security guard is there because that security guard also bites that's it fairly. Yes. We see zero employees, and this stuff is... You know, like, all right, I, I have an answer because I have something in here in my notes because my question about this place was different but similar. Okay. I had a question. Was this actually a factory uh, owned by Cyberdyne Systems? Because it very much much felt like a sequence from Terminator. Yeah, it is very... So what my answer is, is you said, what kind of, what's going on? Why is this thing running? Well, it's because it's Cyberdyne, and they're beginning to probably make the T-800. It is very T-2. I, I agree. Um, obviously, this predates T-2. Yeah. But no, Cyberdyne... You know, you think about the ending of Terminator 1, that's more like Cyberdyne, like presses and machinery. Yeah. Cyberdyne's not smelting their own metal, I don't think. I guess maybe they are. In the early... See, I take it in the early days they were. Skynet probably is, because they have to you know, get resources from something, so yeah. they probably, like, the entire uh, okay. supply chain is probably... Then maybe, Sky- maybe this was the beginnings of Skynet, and that's the reason this foundry was already sure, okay. up and running very early in the morning next to an orange grove. That yeah. would actually explain why it's next to an orange grove. Where would the machines put it? Where somebody would never expect it, oh, sure. next to an orange grove. <laughs> well, the, the orange farmers would notice it. <laughs> they can't keep that a secret from everybody. <laughs> It should I, be in I, the desert. It shouldn't be next to an orange grove. Because my, my question about this factory was, I asked, was, so I, I don't have any more questions. Was okay. this was this owned by Cyberdyne Systems? I mean, uh, the villain is very almost Terminator-esque in terms of his single-minded need to terminate. So, yeah, actually, yeah, maybe he was the first only, Terminator. He's, only, he's a prototype and it went bad. Only, it's like a Blade Runner situation. Right, and he's only focused on his target. Because he could have taken out Poppy, but no, no, no. He had laser focus. Oh, he absolutely. had to get Ingrid. Yeah. He should have looked up all the Ingrids and phone books. A lot fewer. Uh, I don't know what her last name is, but probably some. I don't think you get very it. Very specific Nordic name. You know, she's obviously very, what is she, Swedish? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unlike Sarah Connor, which is probably more common than whatever uh, Ingrid's name is. Well, we saw it in Terminator. There were a lot of Sarah Connors. Right. They so I'm saying if, if he looks her up in the phone book, it's probably, probably an army of one. one. Yeah, one listing. 
All maybe right. she's not listed. Maybe she's. It's not clear how famous a model she is. Maybe she's too famous well, to be in the phone book. Creep of a photographer. I wouldn't want to be listed. That's for sure. Well, that's true. She can't be that famous because he's trying. He's trying to trade. You know, uh, career be good for your career. Yeah. So I guess she's still on the come up. All right. You ready for her uh, to move on? Yeah. Let's move on to the Silk Cozart Internet Research Corner. Both of y'all. Yes. Y'all. Go back to see what. Where I take a deep dive into some piece of internet trivia that the movie made me curious about, named in honor of Silk Cozart's character in Eraser. Where are we going? Uh, this one was a tough one. I wasn't sure where I was going for a while, and for a while I struggled to find anything interesting because nothing. This this movie is so straightforward and straight ahead. There's zero curves in 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 the winding road that is the story. I had a feeling when I saw the Coors California neon sign that you were going to look into the history of Coors. <laughs> I could have done and that. And if there was like a different brew in California. I don't know if there's... Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that interesting about the history of Coors. Well, what, I, what I decided to do... As I was looking into the history of canon films, because we didn't really talk about it on Over the Top, I was too preoccupied with the rules of arm wrestling on that episode. So, <laughs> uh, and, and there's a very good documentary, which talk, we talked about on that episode. Yep. Uh, it's called Electric Boogaloo, The Story of Canon Films. So uh, I definitely highly, highly recommend that documentary if you're at all interested in uh, canon films. The, mostly the canon films that I'm familiar with are the Death Wish movies, a couple of Chuck Norris movies like Invasion USA. I think I've seen one of the Missing in Action movies. Uh, and then they did Masters of the Universe. And they did they, they had made a deal with Warner Brothers, which I'm going to get into in a second. Because by reading, reading about canon films led me into a different rabbit hole. And that's actually the more interesting part. So essentially, I'm not going to go into like the entire history of canon films. But uh, in the late 70s... Uh, Canon Films existed for a while, and then it was purchased by uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus. And essentially, from the time they bought it until the time that Menachem Golan left the company, that's really the true era of Canon Films. Like they would pump out like forty movies a year, mostly like action movies and like you know stuff like Cobra. And uh, so anyway, I, I'm not going to go through the entire filmography. Filmography right. because yeah. there's way too many. It's literally in those eleven years, it's like. 400 movies. Yeah, oh, it's not even an exaggeration. 40 movies a year, yeah, yeah. 11 years. I mean, that's that's about right. Uh, so just from Wikipedia, just to, as set up to the actual story, I just want to hit a couple of, of points from the Wikipedia article because it's important setup. Slavenberg Bank in the Netherlands, which had provided Canon's startup capital in 1979, provided bridge f- financing for the company for pre-sales of films... Uh, blah, blah, blah. The bank was central in the Slavenberg affair, a famous case of company fraud begun in 1983 and ending in 1990 with a conviction of four members of the management team. Slavenberg Bank was discovered to be regularly laundering the profits of organized crime, drugs, sex clubs, and the underworld, as well as being complicit in financial fraud committed by private individuals. Slavenberg was bought in 1983 by Credit Leonese. Leonese? I don't know how to pronounce some of it. Leonese, I believe. Leonese? Yeah. Okay. And that's an important detail. So, and I know we talked about on Over the Top how their accounting practices were, Canon Films' accounting practices were suspect because <laughs> you couldn't get uh, uh, any like box office yeah. info for foreign. And I was like, it's probably because they were cooking some books. Okay. And then I just want to touch on some of the fishy stuff. By 1988, a cooling of the film market and a series of box office disappointments, including the multi-million dollar production of Superman 4 The Quest for Peace, which, boy, oh boy, is that a bad movie. 
I love the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. That's one of the worst movies that's ever been made. Uh, original $36 million budget was slashed to $17 million. That's one of the, <laughs> one of the reasons. Had once again put Canon in financial woes. The company signed an agreement with Warner Brothers to handle part of their assets. However, the financial loss was staggering. Having purchased Thorn EMI's Screen Entertainment in 1986, Canon Films was severely stretched and faced bankruptcy. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission began an investigation into Canon's financial reports, suspecting that Canon had fraudulently misstated them. Sounds like a bang-up operation. Oh, yeah. Well, just wait, because we're not even getting into the real juicy stuff. I'm just making sure. I, I copied too much stuff. Um, okay. On the verge of failure, Canon Films was taken over by Pathé Communications, a holding company controlled by Italian financier Giancarlo Peretti. Now, this is the guy. Once I started reading about this guy, there's some interesting stuff about this guy. <laughs> Financed by the French bank, Credit Lyonnaise. What was it again? Lyonnaise. Lyonnaise. Yep. Pathé Communications takeover of Canon Films of Canon immediately began a corporate restructuring and refinancing of $250 million to pay off of pay off Canon's debt. By 1989, Golan, citing differences with both Peretti and Globus, resigned from his position and left Canon to start 21st Century Films while Globus remained with Pathé. Okay, so there's your backstory. These guys, these, they were cousins, uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus. They bought the company in 1979, yeah. brought it to the heights of success to the point where they were making Superman 4, Crashed the company, spread themselves way too thin. Sounds like on Superman 4, they crashed it. Oh, that's, I mean, I think one of the reasons why the budget was cut is because they ran out of money. So I think, I think really, I mean, the, the documentary goes into a lot of this stuff and it's actually really fascinating. But I think a lot of it was, frankly, stuff like over the top where they, they're paying, so let's just $20 million to make an arm wrestling movie. Yeah, to make an arm movie. wrestling movie. Um, although I think that movie did okay. All right, so let's get into Giancarlo Peretti. See, he bought Canon Films in the late 80s. Um, and this is where it gets bizarre. Bonkers. In 1989, this is from his Wikipedia page. In 1989, he took over Canon, Canon Film Group from Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus. Almost immediately, he made plans to take over the storied French studio Pathé and change Canon's name to Pathé Communications just preemptively because <laughs> he was so sure he was going to buy. And Pathé is a huge French media company. <laughs> uh, they're now part of uh, um, Vivendi. Like It's yeah, a Universal, gigantic yeah. company. Um, yeah, especially now, there's been like eight mergers, I'm sure, yeah. since then. But at the time, I know Pathé was a big company. However, the French government blocked his bid to purchase Pathé due to concerns about his background. Undaunted, Peretti bought Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer in 1990 for $1.2 billion. Wow. Have you ever heard of this guy? No. He purchased MGM for $1.2 billion, but it's telling that it wouldn't last much longer. Using money borrowed from a Dutch subsidiary of Credit Lyonnaise. And contingent on future profits, financing the purchase from mogul Kirk Kirkorian. Yeah. yeah, who owned MGM and, and um, well, the casinos, too, the MGM Grand. Oh, yeah? Okay. Vegas. Yeah. I wonder if this purchase included the MGM Grand and all that. I would assume so. No, no. The, it's, it's two different uh, yeah. subsidiaries. Okay. Uh, Peretti then merged the former Canon with the MGM purchase to create the short-lived MGM Pathé Communications. Under Peretti's control, MGM released almost no films, one victim being the James Bond franchise, which actually explains oh, I never it, fully understood why there was that gap. Yeah, I, what's funny is I always thought it was just that 
with the Cold War effectively being over, that it was kind of listless. Like, well, what do we do now? No, I always knew there was some kind of uh, studio issue issue going on. Yeah. But I never knew the details. Um, anyway, MGM released almost no films while Peretti enjoyed a Hollywood mogul lifestyle. He fired most of the accounting staff and appointed his 21-year-old daughter to a senior financial post. He used company money for presents to several girlfriends, including a former runner-up for Miss Universe. His reign at MGM... His reign. I mean, I guess whatever. Uh, His reign at MGM became the basis of the film Get Shorty, which was produced by MGM. Wow. in 1991, his ownership dissolved in a flurry of lawsuits and a, cre- a default to credit lyonnaise, and Peretti faced securities fraud charges in the United States and Europe. In March 1999, he was found guilty of misuse of corporate funds and fraud, and he was sentenced in absentia to four years in prison and fined one million francs by a Paris court. I have a much dirtier word for it. <laughs> Misappropriation. But wait, it oh. gets even stranger. Oh, man. That's just like the financial fraud. Standard issue, like, yeah, criminality, essentially. Yeah. Here's an article, and I'll try and keep this short because it's a pretty long article from the LA Times, April 24th, 1991, by Alan Citron and Michael Chiepley. It says, financing details add bizarre twist to MGM saga. Hollywood. Giancarlo Peretti's scramble to buy the studio last October included a possible CIA operative and several ne- members of the secretive Knights of Malta. What? <laughs> that can't be real. Uh, this is in the LA Times. This is, you know. That's a reputable source. This, this, is, by, this is their reporting. Giancarlo Peretti's tenure as chief executive of MGM Pathé Communications Co. may have ended with his forced resignation last week, but new details of his bizarre business dealings continue to surface even as the beleaguered movie studio struggles for survival. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I also don't know how to summarize it because the story is bonkers. Like it's it's this whole thing where that guy joined some like cultish whatever the Knights of Malta is, uh, which the story repeatedly points out. Uh, is not related to some more ancient Knights of Malta. It's just like some a bunch of guys decided to call themselves Knights of Malta. Maybe they were clanging axes together at some point. Planning what? Oh, axes. Yes. axes together. It has that vibe. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to read. There's there's like a summary at the bottom of here's everybody and what they did. But it's it's a crazy story and it's way too long. I, I should have summarized it for myself because now I don't know how to. I'll just read this. The cast of characters, Giancarlo Peretti, the Italian financier who pulled off the $1.4 billion purchase of MGM last fall after several delays, was recently out- ousted as chief executive of financially troubled MGM Pathé Communications, but still controls 90% of MGM's corporate parent. Nino El Sana, a mysterious Italian businessman described as a close associate of Peretti's, Peretti denies the link, served as a catalyst to last-minute MGM loan discussions in New York, accused in a lawsuit of disappearing with $500,000 earmarked for the MGM purchase. Joe Kelso, a self-styled financier involved in an aborted plan to lend Peretti $210 million toward the MGM purchase last fall, vacated his New York office when the deal fell through, claims to have worked for the CIA, may also have been mentioned in Oliver North's diary. <laughs> Prince Arnaldo Petrucci, reported leader of the secretive New York branch of the Knights of Malta, which is not connected to the more august Vatican order, served as a go-between in discussions over Kelso's possible loan to Peretti, also inducted Peretti into the order. Anyway, that's... No no wonder why MGM was an absolute disaster for a long period of time. It just seems like that someone was just, you know... Milking it, milking it, taking, you know, using it for their, as their own personal piggy bank. Anyway, it's worth looking up the story. It's too long to read, but essentially, 
the the guy who bought MGM in order to secure financing through this crazy underground cult. He joined some kind of cult and then <laughs> got hooked up with some kind of like vaguely crooked financing deal. And then it all anything to get the deal done. Yeah, I mean it's. I didn't know any of this history, and essentially this is the fall of MGM, because pretty soon afterwards it would be bought by, what, Sony? Like the mid-90s? I well, think it's Sony. Well, and the, well, the catalog then was in dispute for a while, because MGM went bankrupt, too, in the, in the 2000s. Oh, was it still, in, it was still uh, independent? Uh, it wasn't part of Sony at that point? I don't think so, no. Okay. At some point, Sony bought it, because I know Sony... And they may have spun, spun it off, but not, not that long ago, MGM, the, the library became available, and there was a bankruptcy auction, and ultimately... Oh, I don't know if it was John Malone uh, and his uh, Liberty Communications. I don't remember who who bought it, but it hmm. it, it trade MGM's library traded hands not not that long ago. Okay, I wonder if they sold it off during the troubles, like they just sold it off their, their their back catalog. Yeah, it might have been. Anyway, I, I wish I had. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's just you know. Once again, this is. This, I feel like uh, this happens from time to time where I, I come in being like. I don't know. This story was too, like cra- too crazy to go into depth. So hey, everybody, look it up yourself. But it's <laughs> clear that both canon films and that period of MGM were full of some dark, color- colorful characters colorful to say times the least. And dark times. I'll tell you what, Cobra would have taken care of those guys. That's for sure. I don't know if Cobra's that interested in white collar crime. To be no, honest, you're with you. probably right. They're not psychos. He just wants no. to deal with the psychos. You're right. You know, the cult maybe he might have been a little interested in what they, they had going on. Yeah, if they were, if they were banging axes together. They're bang, you know, probably golden axes. Right. Like the video game, Golden Axe. Yes. Uh, anyway, we can All move right. on. You ready? Yeah, let's move on to the body count. Why we're here. This movie, we only killed 48 people. Compared to the last one, we killed 119. So I think this section of the show is pretty self-explanatory. It's why we're here. Yep. I know that I have a different number than Amazon's trivia listed. Oh, I did not look at Amazon's trivia list, so we'll see what you came up with, I came up with. I just want to highlight right now that when this movie started out, I was very concerned because it seemed like the Night Slasher was just going to wreck the most shop. But man, does Cobra catch up in that end sequence. The LA Confidential sequence and beyond, he is a machine. I kind of want to list, like, read down uh, the, my, Let, my list of... Because of, it, it is funny how it just uh, switch flips. Let's do it because... I, all right. It's one of the most... To be honest, it was one of the most interesting things when I was taking notes was typing in what Colbretti was doing along the way. Do you want to just blast through it, or do you want yeah, to take our it. time? Okay. No, let's blast through it. All right, so I've got Mustache Creep, which is the, the guy at the beginning. I called him Musca- Mustache Creep. Stallone, Night Slasher, Night Slasher, Night Slasher, Night Slasher, Night Slasher, Night Slasher. Yep. Stallone, Stallone, Night Slasher, Night Slasher. Stallone, 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 Gonzalez, Gonzalez, Stallone, 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 Stallone. Uh, Stallone, 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 Lady Cop, Stallone, 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 Night Slasher, Stallone. All right, so here's here's going to be Olsen's notes. You ready? Okay. All right, here we go. That poor hostage in the grocery store. Cobra strikes. Night Stalker kills a wait. See, I have a stalker here. Whatever. Night Slasher kills a waitress. Kills a woman after a fender bender. Gets the photographer. Some poor yuppie with champagne bites it. Yep. Night Slasher gets a security guard that is just trying to return a handbag. <laughs> the one that gets knocked into another dimension. Night Slasher kills a janitor at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Cobra strikes again with a couple of assassins outside his door. Yep. Night Slasher kills a patient. We assume Night Slasher kills a nurse. Yep, I also have that. 
Cobra strikes like Jack Slater and a car blows up with two guys in it. <laughs> yep. All right. Then I have, then Cobra goes to work in, I got it here, San Remos. Five guys on a motorcycle are destroyed immediately. I have five bikers. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're, we're up. I, I highlighted this one because, I mean, it's just like... Right. I mean, it is instantaneous. He just wipes out five guys. It's, it's, this is one of those movies where every single bullet yes. that, that Cobra shoots kills a guy. A guy is on the ground yeah, immediately. Cut, I mean, the editing is so hilarious. Down, cut cut down, to Stallone. Down, yeah. down. Stallone shooting, cut to a guy dying. Stallone yes. shooting, cut to a guy dying. Over and over and over. All right. So then I got Poppy Goes to Work quickly getting two. Yep. Cobra with one into the nativity scene. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. We're getting to my favorite guy. Well, hopefully this is, I got it right. The roof guy just stands there as Cobra wastes him. Yes. All right. Yeah, he tries to sneak up on him, and they don't even... He's just standing up there. He doesn't there. do anything. No. Uh, reckless motorcycle bites it after crashing through the front door. I wrote, I wrote idiot biker. <laughs> this is my favorite guy. I can't believe we never talked about him. But he, so give it just real fast what he does. You know, because so stupid. they're attacking this, this uh, motel, and so one of the bikers decides it's a good idea to smash through the motel door room, but... Can't see what's on the other side, so immediately he crashes his bike into the wall. Right. It's and accidentally yeah, it's accidentally comical because the guy he does nothing of value other than maybe knocking the door open, um, which I guess is the whole point is just blow the door open so other guys can do. The, but yeah, and clearly the stunt guy like they were trying to make it look cool, and the stunt guy just you know eats it face first into the motel room wall, and then yeah, Cobra just like oh okay, okay bang, you're done. <laughs> As casually as possible. All right. Anyway. So, all right. Now we got Cobra gets another couple of bikers. Yeah. Uh, there's a Cobra grenade. Oh, see, I have three bikers before the grenade, so we might be off a little bit. All right. So then I've got Cobra now jumps into the truck bed as they try and make their uh, getaway. Yeah. Here we go. Two bikers. One more. Two more. One more. One on the back of a bike. One that was a little bit too close. One that gets tossed and run over by the truck. Yep, we're, we're lining up on these. Two more fall down before he even fires. Those were my favorite. And those guys, the bikes were already going down, and then the sound effects of him shooting actually gets them. Well, they were scared to death. They were, you know, the, the, the threat like, of violence was enough to, for them to fall and kill themselves. It's like Rambo's reputation with a bow and arrow. Yeah, exactly. All right, then I've got two more that seem to just flip into a ditch. All okay, right. Okay, yeah. Now we go after the truck crash. Uh, so they... Um, Ingrid crashes the truck. I got a biker. Then there's another grenade, and two more bite it in the orange grove. Now I've got this is where I've got it. The Cyberdyne factory. <laughs> yes. The poor security guard bites it. Yeah. Cobra sets a grenade trap. A thug gets set aflame. Uh, a neck gets snapped. The sniper gets set aflame. That's when uh, he's like shooting up underneath him, and then Cobra uh, takes the matches and lights them. I don't remember I, what quip he has. Though. I've got Cobra killing two people with that grenade but, that he shoots. You're right. Whatever. Yeah, no, I saw. I, I shoot. You're right. Okay. Two, two there. Okay. Uh, Officer Nancy. I finally got to her name. Oh, Nancy. Nancy is her name. <laughs> Five minutes before we're done, we finally figured it out. Officer Nancy, and then Cobra, of course, wins the fight against the Night Slasher yes. and gets him with a hook. Puts him up on an industrial hook, which uh, we never talked about. As soon as you see those hooks like moving it's by. It's going right by. Yeah. It's, like, talk, it's not even foreshadowing. Just put them on there now. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen here. These hooks are, are going All by. right, so what have you got for Stallone? So I've got uh, 39 for Stallone. That's actually exactly what I have. So yeah. I must have. I think. I think you had one less. So yeah, I, I got something somewhere. We wrong. offset. Yeah, because I think during that like truck chase, that must be what it is. I had thirty nine. So yeah, what okay. does IMDb have? Uh, I think they said forty one first alone, 
And they had 52 overall, which I, I have also. So that matched. I don't know what you've got total. I actually I forgot to add up the total. Okay. I was so blown away. It was something about that opening sequence in the, after the Victory Motel that, I mean, it's just five guys gets mowed, mowed down immediately by Cobra. And I was just blo- I'm like, all right, I got to take notes on every single kill this guy gets from me. Yeah, we haven't know. seen this, I mean, no, no pun intended, this kind of rapid fire killing in a movie. Like, not since, since Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I, I was going to say since Arnold, probably. This is, this, I mean, this is why I remembered this movie more fondly than it ended up being. Because, I mean, this is, probably, I remembered it feeling more like a, a Arnold movie. Like Commando or something. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't have the fun of it. All right. Doesn't have the tongue in cheek moments of no, uh, you know, Stallone's even, not cutting anyone's arm off with a, a, a gardening tool. You know what I mean? That's really the ultimately nobody's impaled with a giant pipe that somehow steam comes out. Yeah, exactly. I, I think ultimately this is illustrative of the differences between Arnold and Stallone. Yeah, Stallone. Arnold he, knows how to laugh at himself. Yeah, and there's also creativity in a variety. You know, I mean, obviously, Commando has like eighty something of him just shooting guys, but he he mixes it up. There's like you get the occasional creative one. Yes, you know, and every one of his movies, like you know, whether it's Total Recall or whether it's uh, yes. you know, all of them, even Predator, stick around. Like that's a pretty serious movie, but he still sneaks in, you know, a, a creative one. And Stallone's movies aren't just are not that interested in being creative when it comes to the action. No, it's just kind of like. He's shooting everybody, and that's it. Whether it's Rambo, whether it's this. So, I mean, that's that's ultimately, I think, the bummer of what we're discovering going through these movies is yeah. it's just a, a lot of samey action. Just, I mean, not that Arnold didn't love his guns, but I think Stallone really likes his guns. It's just... Without a doubt. Actually, I've got... Because I, I always notate how are people killed. Did Stallone have any bodies in this body count that was not him yeah, shooting a guy? There was one. One he did snap his neck. He he went. Oh right, and there were a couple of grenades. Yes, and, and a guy was thrown under a truck. Yeah. So okay. and that was Stallone that did it. You could say Ingrid was driving the truck, but no. Yeah, I think you, you yeah. can give that to Stallone. Yeah. All so, right. But but none of them are creative. No the grenades, hitting a guy with a car, and oh, shooting a whole bunch of guys and the hook. So and the hook. Okay, he, that's the closest thing. Yeah, but, but right. he didn't really have a really good line with it. That's the problem. There was no let off some steam, Bennett. He says uh, you have the right to remain silent. Yeah, that no. <laughs> yeah, that's not that good. All, All right. right, you ready for the award? Yeah, let's move on to the award. Oh wait, I didn't get my, my stats. So, uh, oh, you're right. We got to see averages. Where... So Arnold had an average body count of fourteen point seven six. Uh, now with thirty nine in this movie, Sylvester Stallone has moved up to eleven point nine four. Uh, an average, and Arnold had a total body count of 546. Stallone is now on pace for 621. All right. So he's actually catching up on the average and he's pulling ahead pretty far on the... But uh, Stallone has the advantage of having made way more movies, movies. so that's that's what's driving that, I think. All right. So didn't want to forget the statistics since they're there. Time for the Wrecking Crew Award. All right, let's do it. Outstanding achievement All right, the Wrecking Crew Award. Uh, the award that we give for which character we thought wrecked the most shop in the movie, I think it's pretty obvious on this one. I'm, I'm going to pull an audible. I, wow. it, it seems pretty obvious. I, I'm going with the obvious. I'll just say that. Right. I got to give it to Stallone and Cobra. Yeah, I mean, in terms of volume, he's definitely dealing in the most volume. Are you going to give it to Poppy? No, I'm going to give it to the Night Slasher only for one particular kill, and it's him obliterating that security guard. <laughs> I just think that's such a... a it negates it, all of the others by 
by Stallone is what you're saying. Yeah, it totally does. A guy gets knocked into another dimension. Well, like I was kind of getting at earlier, I think doing this podcast, we're so jaded to on-screen violence. It takes a lot to make me sit up and be like, whoa, like, holy crap. That guy was erased. He was erased. Yeah, you've been erased. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it really was erased. So I think that single kill was so remarkable to me that I want to give it to the Night Slide. Brian Thompson. That is very fair. I'm. I, you can almost convince me to change my vote. Because <laughs> it, I felt so bad for that guy. He's just trying to do the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah, he didn't deserve to be wiped out of existence. I'm, I'm holding out hope he was just knocked into another dimension. Yeah. I think more than likely it was just the actor was standing... Off of the plane, like, like I said, I don't know how they did it, but I th- maybe that in, in the actual fiction, maybe the security guard was actually, you know, a couple steps to the right of the truck, and the uh, night slasher just, you know, he doesn't know how to kill the car. He's a night right. slasher. He's knives. Yeah, he's not. He's not using his weapon of choice. Knives and axes in a car is very different. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe he just uh, misjudged. All right. All right, let's write this thing. You bet. Punching car accident victim. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad mouthing my film. All right, the Rocky rating, where we rate the movie based on Rocky opponents from Apollo Creed down to Spider Rico. Yep. You want to go first or me? I'll go first. I mean, I, I, if I was predicting what I would have given this prior to rewatching it, I probably would have, at the very least, expected. Mason Dixon? Well, I would have expected myself to give it a, uh, a clever line at the very least. That was my memory of just like, yeah, this is a fun kind of schlocky B-movie. Um, but no, I, I can't give it that. I'm going to give it a Mason Dixon. I think oh. in, in the end, it's not a bad movie. It's it's just very kind of unremarkable. You know, it's just there's not other than a robot montage and a guy getting obliterated by a car <laughs> and, uh, you know, a, a kind of a fairly fun sequence at the beginning in the grocery store. All right, so, I mean, so, that's, that's enough. It's not a memorable movie, but there are some memorable moments. There so. are definitely some memorable moments, and you could probably convince me to move my rating up to a Mason Dixon. I did give it a Tommy Gunn because there there just isn't much to it of a – not much. There isn't a script really at all. I mean, this is just a no. action sequence and killing for the most part. I really enjoyed Poppy with without a doubt – uh, have, having him in it, I, I think he gave a good performance and was good comic relief. Yeah, I didn't notice the obliteration. I have to admit that 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 was a that you can almost convince me to move this up to Mason Dixon. <laughs> Come on, you, you just do it, do it. This, this right, is not, right. this is not right. a I'll, bad movie. All right, well, it's not a good movie. No, it's, it's a Mason Dixon. It's right in the middle. Uh, I I can be convinced. There, there's enough. Moments that made me either, la- you know, those guys just absolutely getting mowed down. Yeah. Uh, there were enough moments that, yeah, all right, I, I can move it up to a Mason. I think sometimes it's, it's very easy doing this podcast to hold the fact that there's not much to talk about against a movie. Because it's like, if we're, there's not a lot to talk about, to be honest. It's just, it's very simple and uh, straightforward. So coming, it, it's it's annoying to watch this movie for a podcast going like, oh, it's just, I don't know. What's there to talk about? But I'll, but I don't think you should hold that against a movie. That's I think Mason fair. Dixon makes a lot of sense. It's probably me. fair. I mean, we, we I didn't, I, I did enjoy being able to talk about how that photographer would just get savage today. Oh yeah. I mean, so, we, we savaged him plenty. So yes. I think, I think well, uh, the point being is you're right. There, there was more meat on the bone here to actually talk about than I thought. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, um, I don't know what. Speaking of which, I don't know why that reminded me, but uh, 
I've never seen because this the, the original novel. This is based on the novel Fair Game, which we mentioned in the opening, which was made again as the movie Fair Game. In I the wondered. 90s. I've seen it. I don't. Rem- What's funny is I don't remember it being like this at all. Well, I, th- I I've never seen it. Because I wanted to ask you, do you think this was better or worse than Fair Game? Because I, I remembered you saying that I you'd have seen, seen it. it. Um, my memory of Fair Game is it was better than this. Not okay. good, but better than this. That's Cindy Crawford and yeah. one of the Baldwins, right? Is it Billy? I think it's Billy Baldwin. Okay. Yes. He, Billy Baldwin is uh, Backdraft, right? That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's Billy Baldwin. Um, okay. Because I remember the trailers for Fair Game, and from the trailers, my impression was that the bulk of that story is them on the run... Yes. You know, outside of town trying to stay, keep a, one step ahead of whatever bad guys are chasing them. I think it is. Right? Okay. And I think this movie would have been better if that was more of the focus. And I imagine the novel, that was also Probably. more of the focus. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just a coincidence that the title was Fair Game. I didn't realize that. No, no, no. It was remade. It was made again. Well, here, <laughs> this might be a funny thing to end on because, again, I, I feel bad. But I don't want to be too critical of Stallone, but this was at the peak of... His egotistical period, like he was really full of himself around this time. Um, and I think he even acknowledges that. Uh, I saw in the trivia that Sylvester Stallone wanted them to reprint the novel Fair Game unchanged, but with himself as the author because he wrote the screenplay. <laughs> and he's like, well, I wrote the screenplay, so put it out as a novelization and say it's by me. That's not how that works. No. That takes a particular <laughs> level of ego to yes, demand that. They didn't do it. Of course it, not. Yeah, of, of course not. That but, is outstanding uh, if true. Anyway, you know, I think it's true. I believe it. All right. You tell me you don't believe that? I, 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 no, I fully I, believe it. I believe it. Uh, All right. Anyway. All right, so it's my pick. No, it's not your pick. We're at the end of uh, the first half of the season. We've oh. got a Rocky up. Oh. You're going to have to wait for your pick. I'm sorry to disappoint you, my friend. Wait a minute. How many movies have we done? We've wait done a minute. five. Sorry. I was so excited. We did we did Rambo 3. We did... Uh, what did we do after that? Uh, we did Spy Kids, Spy Kids 3. Spy Kids 3D, game over. We, we did Fist. We did ICU. And now this is 5. So next is Rocky 5. <laughs> You're so mad. I am. <laughs> do I, I get to know what you picked? You obviously decided something. Uh, I did decide something, and I've ordered it. So Okay, well, you have to wait. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to wait until Tommy, uh, Tommy Gunn, Tom- appropriately enough. Tommy Gunn is coming up. So, yeah, I... I uh well, since you're uh, surprised, you're, you're caught off guard by the fact I that am, Rocky Five is next. I'm curious what your uh, expectations are going into. My Rocky expectations 5. are pretty low. I remember not liking Rocky Five at all. Okay, I think Rocky so. Maybe 5, maybe I will be surprised. Maybe there will be some nuggets there that I don't remember. I hope so. I I know for sure. Maybe it'll end up being like Cobra, where the things that I remember fondly are just individual scenes. There are some individual scenes in Rocky Five that are some of my favorite moments in the Rocky franchise. Um, some, some of them are maybe not intentionally funny. Uh, you know, it's, it's an odd movie. It's an odd entry into the franchise, but, uh, it's definitely not a Rocky movie. I watch a lot. I was just going to ask. So do you not watch that really at all? No, I watched it. The last time I watched it was probably a year and a half ago. Um, I think after we watched Rocky two, I think, uh, for, for, for whatever reason, I just decided to watch them all, watch through a bunch of them. Yeah. I don't think I watched through all of them, but. I think three, four, and five I watched right, pretty well, shortly after. Uh, this was a surprise for me, but now I know. <laughs> we are doing Rocky Five. Yeah, you got to count your... your uh, You're right. I got to count off. Well, yeah, the yeah. good news is, is I have the next one ready to go, so okay. that's good to know. Well, now I got to wait a long time to find out what it is. You I'm do, curious. Too bad. But anyway, yeah, join us next time for Rocky Five. 
Yeah, so if you like the show, please like us on your podcast app of choice and maybe write us a favorable review. Or if you don't like things, let us know what you think about us uh, at Arms Race Podcast on Twitter. <laughs> so Twitter is for the complaints? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's the complaint <laughs> Reviews. Department. So give us a review if you like the show. If you don't like the show, write us on Twitter. Don't yes. give, that's, that's what you're saying. Don't, don't write a review. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you're really putting your thumb on the scale there. I you don't, you that. don't have to write as much on Twitter, so <laughs> that's true. Um, no, I fully approve of this uh, skewing of, of the numbers. Thank you. Anyway, uh, yeah, if you like the show, and you know someone else who might like the show, uh, let them know about the show. We're gonna keep doing this show. So if there's anyone out there who might uh, enjoy us, we don't know how to find them, so we're asking <laughs> you to find them. Do our job for us. Yes, please do. We'll be back with Rocky Five. You 